The Hurling Pod on OTB Sports. I love the way Kikini celebrated. I love the way Limerick celebrated Munster, right? To, to, to go where we actually want to win the next week. You know, or were they treating it as just another game, another stepping stone? That's a, that's a question I have. Subscribe to the GA Podcast feed on the OTB Sports app now. OTB's The Hurling Pod with James Skell and Paul Murphy. People of Galway, we love you! I don't want to leave the people of Waterford down, you know, because they're my life, you know. People of Waterford are my life, you know, and I, 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 love, I, love, I love my county, you know. We love Jambalan! It's almost like they're afraid to kind of mm. go and hurl and just let themselves express themselves. They're, it's like as if they're nearly afraid to make a mistake, and sometimes you have to make a mistake and just throw off that bit of nervousness and have a go. Yeah, it's pure constipated hurling. Welcome along to episode 18 of The Hurling Pod. Clare are heading to Croke Park for only the second time since they lifted the Lee McCarthy at the venue in 2013. The banner outscored Wexford by 1-9 to 2 points in the closing stages as they won their All-Ireland quarter-final on Saturday. 2006 was the last championship meeting of Clare and Kilkenny, which was also, as it turns out, the last inter-county game as a player for the current banner boss, Brian Lohan. Galway bounced back from their Leinster final disappointment. They overcame Cork by a point in the other quarter-final on Saturday afternoon. It turned out to be Groundhog Day for the Rebels in front of Bill Murray as they missed chances which came back to haunt Kieran Kingston's side at the end of the game. We'll also be looking forward to a meeting of the Leinster and Munster champions in the All-Ireland Minor Final that has been fixed for Kilkenny on the 3rd of July. Offleet were four-point winners against Clare while the game of the weekend at any level was the score fest at the Gaelic grounds where Tipperary defeated Galway. Delighted to say it, Paul Murphy, James Gell are along with me. How are you getting on lads? How are you lads? Good now, hostings. I'm looking forward to what's going on the road, lads. Here's the news, hot <laughs> off the press for this week's pod. The Hurling Pod going on the road. We're going to Hunter's Bar in Limerick next Wednesday. That is the 29th of June. All with thanks to Guinness 00 as part of our brilliant GA Roadshow series this summer. 100% Guinness, 0% alcohol. And more social occasions off the GA pitch are yours for the taking. The two lads are going to be alongside me. Valerie Wheeler is going to be with us as well on stage. We're going to have Limerick Camogie and Hurling Legends with us because we're going to be looking forward to Skehill's boys taking on Limerick in an All-Ireland semi-final. So you are going to be in hostile territory, Skell, when we go to Limerick next week. Yeah, I'm actually going to be spending a bit of time down in Limerick. I have to go down first and we're playing a, a tournament down in Federmorgy yeah, with a, a couple of clubs. So I'm looking forward to that. So that'll be the first introduction then going on the Wednesday into the, into the Lions Den. But I'll hold me on. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm on my own. I'm well used to taking a bit of slack off Limerick people every now and then. <laughs> I've no doubt, because our plan was to do this as kind of like a hurling pod live style event. Now, we will have a little bit of football uh, mixed in, and Jamie Wall is going to be there along with us on the night too to look at uh, hurling. We'll be look, taking a look at the football. Uh, potentially, maybe Limerick's neighbours, Clare, might get a result this weekend and mm-hmm. get into an All-Ireland semi-final. But we kind of thought Skell is just going to be able to be the Galway representative. I was going to get you help, but then I thought... <laughs> Let's go for a Limerick legend and let's let Skell fight his own corner. <laughs> Jeez, thanks for your, for your concern anyways, will you know? <laughs> I, I would have said not so much concern. I would have said confidence in your ability. Perfect. That's, that's good. I like, to, I like to hear that. Yeah, I'm confident in my own ability at times too. <sighs> yeah, and I'm looking forward to Joss. It's nice to get along because every, even just with regards to the podcast itself, like it's, you talk to people from all different, you know, clubs, counties, etc. And it's got a, a pretty good following. So it's nice to get out amongst the people and see what they have to say to your face. 
Yeah, first <laughs> so I think I first encountered this uh, from Cork supporters down at the league final when they were like, thanks to you for giving us a bit more credit than those other two on the hurling pod. So um, Cork now out of the championship. We'll talk about that in a lot more detail. They lost out to Scales Galway. But Murphy, looking forward to uh, coming to Limerick as well. You were telling me a couple of weeks ago that there was a guy marking you on the pitch in a challenge game and he ended up talking to you about the pod. Yeah, we played St. Martin's of Wexford there a few weeks ago in a challenge. It was actually a great game, great evening for it and all, but there was a, a small gap in play. And as much as it's been great, we've chatted to a few people at the Leinster final who were listening to the pod and a few different areas. I wasn't expecting the man that was marking me in the St. Martin's <laughs> game to start chatting about it. And he was agreeing with us, which is great. I think at the time, the hot topic was, sure, look, we were just off the back of the Leinster final. So uh, I think it was handshakes again and, and different things. But uh yeah, we got a bit of feedback, live feedback on the pitch. So it'll be it'll be a bit different now being on the road, I suppose. Uh, we have the luxury here. No one disagrees with us when we're talking here. We can record away where lads might be a bit rowdy down below in a dare. They might tell us their feelings straight away. So that'll be something uh, we'll have to get the head around. But look, yeah, yeah. looking forward to it. It's going to be great. Mm, it's usually me who has to wait through the YouTube, YouTube comments even rather than YouTube <laughs> to actually see what the feedback is but uh, generally yeah very mixed bag from last week because understandably I think people were still in that kind of angry stage after the suspensions and like as it worked out Skell we weren't totally shocked when they were overturned but maybe the method of which they were overturned yeah. was a little bit surprising because uh, I was pretty sure that Galway were going to accept the Fahey suspension but it turns out that it was Galway who informed Clare about the fact that the CCCC hadn't followed the rules as they stood by emailing information across as opposed to holding a physical meeting. And it was a technicality which saw the three boys avoid the ban last weekend. Yes, yeah, us Westerners always looking out for each other, aren't we? Legal's <laughs> over in Galway. Yeah, I, I think that actually with the ban itself, okay, first of all, we, like, we, we spoke an awful lot last week about the manner in which the suspensions came to pass. Um, we never we didn't question the instance. I mean, we'll make that very clear. It's just the way that the, the, the bans were proposed but that was kind of farcical. And then to hear how the bans were overturned became completely farcical. The manner in which they were overturned was that, no, it was a question of a tactic, but it was a tactic that worked and it worked for everybody. So I think that, I don't think anybody is complaining, especially as the two teams came through. Um, and I don't think there was no issues as well from a Cork and Wexford perspective. I don't think they would have cared if either or any player was playing for, for the respective counties. They were just ready to get on with it regardless of what was going to happen. But yeah, it, just, it just goes to show, and we touched on it last week, the GA as a whole have work to do. They have a lot of work to do to, to iron out some of these, uh, what you call them, intricacies around incidents. Yeah, it's something that they're going to talk about. Uh, we're recording the pod right now to go out on Monday evening. So by Tuesday, if you're watching us on the YouTube, this may well have advanced by that stage. But the story uh, from John Fogarty in the Examiner today is that GA Central Council will meet again. They were meeting about fixtures earlier today. They'll meet this evening, though, to talk about the way the disciplinary decisions can be dealt with. And they're going to decide, according to John's report, that emails will be considered in order when it comes to suspensions. So effectively, what the CHC, which was the Central Hearings Committee, overturned last week, the reason for their overturning could well be changed this week. It doesn't matter compared to the uh, suspensions of last weekend. Uh, But they're going to decide that there's a rule in there that means that meetings have to be held either in person or by video conferencing. And the video conferencing particularly came in during the pandemic. But now... Um, effectively, I don't know, sightings, rulings, whatever way you want to look at it, can be communicated by electronic mail as opposed to actually being a physical meeting. So if that's approved by the Central Committee tonight, that means that from now on the CCCC would be able to review an incident 
and email the correspondence around it and it would be considered in order. So that kind of legal loophole, which was used by Galway and subsequently used by Clare last week as well, uh, which saw the players cleared on appeal, could be removed by the time that we talk next week. Uh, Apparently the advice of the Rules Advisory Committee, while not referring specifically to cases, is that the CCCC were actually within their rights to follow that procedure. It always seems interesting to me, Murph, that within the GEA you can have kind of one wing of the disciplinary side of things rule against the other, and now, retrospectively, they're changing the rule or amending the rule so it won't happen again. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's amazing we're still trying to get these things right. Um, it's a funny one as well because this conversation, last week, the whole conversation was around will lads get suspended, who should be suspended, all these different things. Nobody was talking about this because no one saw this coming. And eventually, the rug was pulled from everybody that, listen, listen everybody's off the hook here, get on and play the matches. In a weird way, it was nearly a relief because, you know, you wanted to go and enjoy the matches. And sometimes, you know, we've had a lot this year of discussions around, um, you know, things off the pitch and, like you know, handshakes and, and things happening. Retrospectively, people looking back at stuff and analysing a bit too much, which, you know, you can nearly get sick of that as well. Not saying any player didn't deserve a suspension, but look, this nearly got rid of the whole any other air around the games and the games were just got on with. But certainly, look, if there was more serious um, incidents or anything like it'd be criminal if lads were to be let off the hook here by something like this again essentially an admin error really um, because you know you, you deserve to serve your time for something if you did something wrong so look again we need to get these kinks out of the way so that uh, I suppose we justifiably sort out any incidents on the pitch retrospectively fairly and so on and that goes along with the rest of the conversation we had of you know um about the place for retrospectively looking at these things maybe on the pitch maybe using a fourth referee and so on there's a whole myriad of things there that needs to be sorted out but uh, yeah it's, it's amazing we're still trashing these things out at this stage but oh, isn't it, there's no it, controversy this week go on Scal isn't it amazing just like more or less when, when you introduce a degree in embarrassment for the, for the GA how fast they fix it <laughs> yeah, yeah you know yeah. how fast they're coming around to terminate this now and get to make sure that error doesn't happen again and where we're talking about incidents and types of rules that are going on for weeks yeah, and months yeah and they don't fix them. Yeah, and it's often like even we talk about some things there, like I still don't really understand. If I'm still holding my hands up, I still don't really understand what can be done quickly and what can't be done quickly. But like you said, <laughs> now we can see things can be done literally overnight in certain instances. But then we're told, you know, if we want to amend some part of the game, that could be three years, has to go to Congress, whatever. Like, you know, all these yeah. things. Oh, no, it's in for three years and that's it. Yeah. Until something comes along like this and suddenly they go, choose a night, lads, get rid of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, choose it. Like, yeah, I, so I still, I'm none the wiser as to how these things are sorted. <laughs> Oh, we're, we're all going to be left in confusion for quite some time. I was just going to say, it's not like there's any controversy in this week, like you know, black cards not being applied, it would seem, in the championship this year, uh, with the exception of the McDonough. That's going to come up when we talk about, um, particularly the Lee Chin incident, which, in my eyes, let, let's let's kick off with that scale. Should that have been a black card? Um, I think it was, yeah. I actually saw it in real time. And look, are we... Us as analysts or pundits or whatever you want to call it, when we, have, when we have the facility of a replay, we can make a more judgmental decision and say, but in actually in real time, when I saw the incident, I said penalty. Penalty. Like when you consider what was given last year uh, against Clare Law in Limerick, uh, that incident with, with Jake Morris, and then, then fast forward to what the incident we have now, like there were there were chalk and cheese, but one was given a penalty. And if you were to tell me which one was given, I would have said certainly it would have been the lead chain one. And like you can introduce a, an area of mitigation by saying Clare defenders come back, but they, they weren't like they were on the way back, yes, but they weren't as as for the ruling within 25 meters and they weren't nearest the goal, uh, between let's say where Jean was and, and Quilligan was. So it was a penalty, and like people would argue to the contrary, but it's very simply if the rule was to be applied correctly, uh, um, that's a penalty all day long. And that, that could have been again, I won't say a, cha- cha- a game changing factor, but it certainly could have uh, 
influenced the result. Yeah, I think it likely would have had a big impact. I mean, it becomes a penalty, which is a scoreable chance for three points on the board. And also Clare would have had to hurl with a man light. At a time when, when Wexford were having to cling into it a little bit as their players were going off injured, as we'll discuss in a little bit, it would have been a huge boost to them at a time when they needed a score too within the game. Like t- To me, Paul, looking at it, this was the whole idea of bringing in this rule in the first place. It wasn't for something like Clare and Tipperary the year before where a foul takes place over by the sideline near the 45 and it seems like a crazy decision. This time round, like, Lee Chin gets a clean break there without being pulled to the ground and he's in on goal. I, I don't care if the Clare uh, players are coming back around. He's got a straight sideline at running towards goal. That's the exact type of cynical foul that this was brought in for. Yet referees aren't applying it. Yeah, exactly. And and like James was saying there straight away, he said, this is a penalty. I had actually forgotten about this black card rule nearly in the, in the time until someone, until one of the commentators said it because, uh, you know, we just haven't seen it applied over the last while. And to be fair, there probably wasn't many incidents over the last while where we've seen it, but this was a very blatant one. Um, and, and I suppose Wexford people could feel a small bit aggrieved by it because if you're to give an example of what this rule was brought in to get rid of, this is exactly it. You know, Lee Chin turns and completely dragged down so you couldn't get a better example of it um, so yeah it, it, it'd be a tough one to swallow certainly for the Wexford players and, and, and the supporters and like you said important time of the game again as we saw in the end Wexford began to wilt a small bit um, and this certainly would have aided their cause like you said three points on the board and you know Claire having to hurl with a, with a man down for 10 minutes like that would have been huge and could have completely changed the complexion of the game but look these are oftentimes the things that games are won and lost on and again probably goes back to the conversation of helping the referees because they only get one look at it again and these games are very fast to get one look again it probably lends to the argument of someone else looking at this for the referee and saying listen I think you might want to have a look at this this could be a penalty yeah, um, also important uh, when it comes to the conversation around this that I got to see the Saturday game live and I got to see the Sunday game and I have no foot in either camp. So this would be my take on it. I saw that Tom Dempsey, the Wexford legend, had up on Facebook that he was kind of disappointed that on the Saturday there was far more talk about the two square ball instance as opposed to looking at what Wexford had done correctly. And he felt there probably wasn't enough of a look at what had happened with Lee Chin on the live coverage on Saturday. And then I saw Clare supporters were complaining last night when they watched the Sunday game that there was too much talk about the potential black card and the penalty and not enough talk about the square ball. So I think it actually balanced itself out over the two pieces of coverage. I think both got a fair airing in both cases. Um, when it comes to this incident, though, we had Eddie Brennan on OTB AM this morning talking about it, and Liam Sheedy talked about it last night. Like, It doesn't seem a good rule scale where you've got officials having to almost guess the distances when it comes to this too. And I can understand why maybe the rule makers and maybe individual referees are a little bit reticent to actually give decisions that give the penalty and the black card because of the controversy over the trip in that game at the Gaelic grounds and everything that came out of that black card. It seems that it's not being applied a lot almost deliberately this season. Yeah, no, but I, I agree with that to a certain extent, but I also have to harp on to what Murph said about the actual incident in which a penalty is to be given. It hasn't been, you know, we haven't seen it that much, to be honest. Like We haven't seen an awful lot of what I would call rugby tackles or, or, or drag down tackles like it was done to Lee yesterday or, or on Saturday. So so the the... The actual incident hasn't provided itself to us, if you know what I mean. And like I, I do always wonder, like refs now, they're they're more than likely aware that they're under intense scrutiny after every decision because they've got social media, you've got obviously the Sunday game, you've got numerous podcasts out there. So any decision that they make that they might feel could be a bit, you know, controversial, they're probably tentative to do it, especially if there's a bit of guesswork. And that's the key word right there. 
when you introduce guesswork or you, you introduce someone's interpretation of something whereby they believe 25 meters, is that 25 meters? Is it 30 meters? Who knows? I look at refs all the time when they're telling my defenders, that if I'm playing a game, you're supposed to go back 13 meters for, for a free. They send them back 20, 25 the whole time. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Or if there's a bit of indiscretion to say where they, buy, they want to move up the ball 13 meters, they move it 20 meters and there's no, it's just pure guesswork. Like, so it's not, so when you, when you introduce that, and a small bit of confusion, and, and then you, that, that coincides with, with scrutiny and crowd on top of you. Refs just going to play the safe game and go, no, I'm not giving it. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And move on. That's all they're going to do. So it's how it's how you narrow, you kind of narrow that gap. Let's say you bring down that that percentage possibility down to nearly a single digit, one percent chance. Like, and I, I watched the Sunday game, and Sheedy made a good point about introducing the lines. No problem. What harm is it about putting in a couple of lines? It's no problem. So like when you take into account what happened on Saturday, you would like to see in Crow Park in a couple of weeks the lines put in. But I'd nearly hedge a, a massive bet with you. They won't be in. <laughs> no, the, the lines won't be in for reasons between the three of us that are unknown. God knows why they won't be in. But again, logic and the GA sometimes don't go hand in hand. Murph, that's an interesting point that Scale has just raised about the fact that we haven't had too many instances to talk about with deliberate pulldowns because it seemed before the rule came in a whole load of instances in kind of 18, 19, 20. Like we were talking about it a good bit before the rule actually came in. Since then, we spoke about this, I think, back on like maybe episode three or four during the middle of the league where there was a pull down that wasn't given. And we talked about the interpretations and we talked about the lines at the time. And really, other than the black card that was given out in the Joe McDonough Cup final for a trip, we haven't actually had too many of these where we've turned around and said, oh, there was a deliberate pull down or there was a Sean Cavanaugh style incident in the hurling at the weekend and the one wasn't given. Why have this stopped? Well, I suppose people could argue two ways um, with this. Like, I mean, if, if you were to say it's gone down, you'd either say the referees aren't giving them or the players aren't doing it. I'd say it, it's probably had the effect that, that it wanted and that the players are stopping doing it. You know, we, we talked earlier in the pod, podcast about, um, you know, engaging with referees and uh, referees, you know, bringing in, ru- or uh, let's say enforcing rules and different things. Certainly when the likes of the face guard, for example, came in, if you grab the face guard, it's straight red. You know, I would remember being in training and Brian said, listen lads, don't do it, don't grab the face guard, don't, like we don't need a lad sent off. Similarly enough then, the third man tackle, this was going to be a red card, which again is another one which has kind of seemed to have drifted by the wayside. Now we see lads going in, a little bit of a scuffle, lad goes in, he's not sent off, like, you know, but that is a rule that's there, like obviously third man in, you're gone. When that came in initially, again, I remember Brian saying to us, listen lads, third man tackle, just don't do it, walk away from it. If there's two lads scuffling, right, let them scuffle and they're going to get yellows, but don't be the third man in who gets a red card. So I think it probably just has had the desired effect because we're not sitting here saying referees aren't copping onto this, they're not giving, there's very few incidents. So I think players are kind of going, I'm sure I'm going to get sent off. Um, and we've seen the effects they've had in games, you know. Um, we've seen a few games in leagues and stuff where lads have gone off and it's kind of turned the game at important times as well so I think players are just aware of it now that or even even being a bit more clever that they say look I can foul a little bit earlier if I'm to foul foul a little bit earlier or make it not look as obvious but um, I think it probably has had the desired effect and that players are a bit more cautious not to pull down players so it's it's probably worked in that regard Mm, maybe the rule was enough as a scare tactic to actually just change um, attitudes as opposed to it actually being enforced all that strongly over the last couple of years. Intriguing to see if another incident happens a little bit later now, because again, a bit like last week, uh, the reports again kind of emanating out were that at the referees meeting, there was certainly an instruction 
uh, for referees to enforce the rules a bit more strictly between now and the end of the championship. And they spoke about that Munster final. We talked about that last week, the fact that it seems that John Keenan was spoken to about maybe allowing things to be a bit too loose and not applying the rules uh, when it came to that Munster final. So I wonder if at the referees meeting ahead of these semi-finals, that may well come up again about the Mm. black card and uh, potentially fouling cynical play in front of goal. The game itself, uh, Skell, it was a victory for Clare, 124 to three goals and 14 in the end. I was thinking about you when we got to about 55 minutes into the game where you said, I might have to eat my words on Monday when you thought that Clare were going to win by seven or eight points. Like, realistically, this was not a Clare performance winning with any kind of comfort whatsoever. If anything, this felt like a Clare team who got out of jail a little bit at the weekend. It, it did. And, you know, I think when if, if, if they, their year proves, proves successful, and what I mean by that is, is if they win their Ireland, they would most likely look back on certain games and certain moments in their season that they said to themselves, that really made us, right? And when you come through as a team, the type, this type of game whereby you you start slow, uh, you start both mentally slow and physically slow, a team comes at you hard and you have to kind of grind it out and come out the right side of it. That serves you way better than probably walking through them by 10 points. You know, that really kind of galvanizes the team. What it does as well is it wakes up your squad. So, like, because it gives perfect ammunition for Brian Lowe and his management team to aim at the you know, the so-called starters, and like that's evident in Rory Hayes coming off. We'll touch on him in a, in a second. Mm-hmm. But your whole panel then is on is on is on hot alert because you see Aaron, Aaron Shanahan comes on, rattles a, a goal and a couple of points, and so now he's right back in the mix. And so now you've got people who have who have woken up. They're they're looking to get into a team that was believed to have been set. You know, the one fifteen was completely set. There was no getting into it. Now they're looking at it, going, I have a chance. You know, I have a chance. That like Key Nolan came in. Did well, did really well in the cornerback position. So, like, he's now put his hand up and say, I want to replace you, Rory. And that really kind of, that'll coincide with, with advancing. So, when you advance in the championship, you still have a chance. You have a, you have a chance to get back to the training ground, kind of reset everything. Because, look, look, to be honest, from what Claire have produced over the last couple of months and what they produced on Saturday, they were kind of, it, it wasn't in line with what they've been doing. They, they, they didn't play it the way they want to play, I'd say, with the energy that, the energy that they've been playing with, with the fluency that, that, they've, that they've been playing with. So this is a really good wake-up call. But that's not to discount Wexford's, Wexford's efforts either. Like I, I was really impressed with Wexford, how they came at it and then we let it hard. Signs are on, Jack Connor first goal, just going for it, you know. And they'll be, they'll, they'll be extremely disappointed because they left multiple chances behind them. And I just wonder, like, they... There were just that bit, they weren't as seasoned as Clare were, if you know what I mean. And now that, that just probably doesn't make a bit of sense because this this these two groups, the Clare group and the Wexford group, they're on the road kind of the same amount of time. Wexford obviously have changed managers, but Clare look more seasoned. They're in a couple of seasons alone and they just seem to be playing a much more kind of seasoned pattern and, and a smarter way. And Wexford missed an awful lot of opportunities near the last 10, you know, eight, nine minutes when the game was in the melting pot. That's where you need kind of cool heads, real, real cool heads and trying to pick the right option. And they just didn't. They took on some pot shots that will you know, kill them in the end. So, look, it's a, it's a, it's a learning curve for Wexford, especially for Darry Egan and his group going forward. And uh, Claire just be happy to put that in the bag, move on. Got some game time into some, some of their panel members who uh, now have some more confidence going into a big semi-final. Mm. Uh, 10 points of differential in that last seven minutes of normal time and then the bit of injury time as well it was a big turnaround 1-9 to 2 points uh, during the spell that Clare outscored Wexford and Clare played some really good hurling during that period but for Wexford Murph they'll have to be very frustrated like for an hour they seemed in control that game and they did a really good job on the key Clare forwards during the game like Dio O'Keefe was incredibly effective both going forward and also positioning himself into good places to cut off ball coming into the Clare half forward line um, the Rex did a really good job around defensively too. You would have to say that their game plan 
for the first hour and being effective getting the ball in long to chin which resulted in those two goals in the second half too you're Dara Egan you're probably thinking for nearly an hour that was the perfect game plan yeah yeah and again you have to give Dara Egan great credit and I actually thought that Dara Egan's interview after the game was very refreshing like you know as in he just said we probably just didn't have you know the legs there towards the end we probably didn't have enough lads to bring in off the bench to keep to sustain the effort they were doing but like he did target Claire you know he didn't just go out and say listen lads we need to go hard at this he did specifically target them and like the Jack O'Connor goal you know after 25 seconds was an indication of that big high ball down on top of him and I think Dara Egan recognised that maybe Claire aren't as comfortable under the high ball and probably did Kilkenny a little bit of a favour there because he's after highlighting something now for Kilkenny that they can go you know Jesus we, we, we could actually target this you know and you look at Tony Kelly as well four points like they did a really good job there Tony Kelly scoring four points in a game that's probably the best you can hope for like you know that's a savage success there him scoring four points let's say put the freeze aside but um, yeah like you have to say you have to give Wexford great credit here because they did throw a lot at Clare a lot more than we probably gave them credit for that we thought they were going to throw at them and again a lot of that came down to the matchups in terms of how they actually didn't just blindly go at this and try and figure out listen this is how we're going to they seem to have targeted them in certain ways and they got a lot of rewards off them so they will be disappointed that they didn't see it out in the end and they certainly had the opportunities here to get a big scalp um, they were probably aided by Clare starting fairly flat into this game you know they did start a little bit which just gave them the ground and that's not to take away from from Wexford's performance either because I saw Wexford fans kind of saying or, um, uh, you know hopefully that that won't be the narrative in this game Wexford were full credit for their efforts in it it's just they couldn't hold out and the big thing for me then was just the momentum that Clare had at the end and that's something that every team is going to be looking at like Kenny will look at that stemming the momentum when Clare get their back up and they go through their purple patch every team has a purple patch in a game but like when we see the return of of, uh, of their late surge like 1-9 they got like I mean that's a savage late surge for Clare um, every team will be looking at that going you know even Wexford I'd say in hindsight would be saying you know and I think they kind of did at one stage try and stem and get a player going down and be injured and that's not to say that they were you know unsportsman like Ranton but lots of teams do that where they do kind of try and stem that by taking the sting out of the game have a man go down for 30 seconds or a minute you know it's it's just within the rules working it and some people don't like it Liam Sheedy was referring to it last night but teams do that you know um, so I, I think Wexford in fairness to me you have to give them full credit uh, they, they, they just about they nearly pulled it off but again it was just that bit of tenacity and player, uh, the bit of grit between the teeth, and once they got the backup and they had a few players, Shane O'Donnell getting points, um, you know, Aaron Shanahan getting the goal, like it just once that momentum built, Wexford just couldn't hold out and the, the dam burst eventually. But look, you do have to give them good credit. And like you said, Dara Egan targeted Clare, they did their best. It just wasn't enough to get them over the line. Murph, just to follow up on that point about the potential concerns for Clare about direct ball coming in and particularly like the two goals in the second half are really just balls dropped in on the Clare full back line I know there's an argument around square ball I think both were pretty marginal we, we can talk about them if you want but the central point being that when the ball came in high and direct Wexford were able to profit from that and Lee Chin put the ball in the net twice in the second half directly from long ball in Kilkenny have got lots of big physical men that they could potentially play there we have seen at times when they put in direct ball it can be incredibly effective against the right opposition we saw it against Dublin didn't work ironically enough when Kilkenny were putting long ball in against Wexford as we discussed and then they changed the approach a little bit for the Galway game but there's probably an argument if there's going to be a day that Kilkenny are going to let the ball in long Crow Park in a couple of weeks time might be the time to do so yeah definitely um, and, and people are looking at this saying 
certainly before this match anyway people were saying that well how could Kilkenny really beat Clare when they're on this form but there is indications there that Clare will give you an opening that you could if, if you're in the position and you're clinical enough you know there's goals there there's points there to be got and, and you can get that get at them behind it was, it was highlighted more so than it, than it's really ever been this season um against wexford at the weekend the three goals came from high balls landing in like that's very basic stuff and straight away i was thinking to myself right i can kind of half picture it as it is and i know we'll cover more next week but you know i'm thinking owen cody mossy kyo and tj reed in a full forward line potentially even walter welch and you have savage problems there because you know lee chin is a very physical player but he's not the tallest player either in terms of if you've walter welch in and yeah that's a different story again so like it's probably fairly one-dimensional but i'm thinking that if that causes problems for claire we'll give them problems then you know lump a few balls in and see what happens um there's also a few other areas that i was looking at and you know you have to look at the positives that Claire are doing but sometimes that can work against you like dermot Ryan there there's actually a great piece in the ga performance podcast have it up there on twitter and give him give him credit for it as well but i was looking at it in the match dermot Ryan got ahead um got gets up that right wing he scored three points and he assisted two but he runs up that wing and leaves the right half back position quite open. If you look at Kilkenny against Galway, Parik Mannion wanted to sit back. So Kilkenny said, right, go on, sit back and we'll have Adrian Mullen out in the 65 and we'll make you decide if you want to come out and mark him. And Kilkenny got a bit of rewards down the left side because of that. So I think Kilkenny will look and go, lads, Dermot Ryan's going to be beating up that right side. Turn him over. And if you do turn him over, it's down to the forwards. Get into that position because we know automatically there's going to be space there get into that position and we could get two or three or four points there and Dermot Ryan will have to sit back then and if he doesn't sit back we'll just keep doing it so there was plenty of positions I was looking at going well this is actually good for Kilkenny because anytime management are looking at another team to pick them apart you're looking to where where's the door open where can we slip in there and there are two big ones for me the two wing forward the, the two wing backs slipping up the wing and then the full back line not being overly comfortable um in the full back line and again Rory Hayes being taken off you know, there's potential there that they mightn't be settled the next day. There's also potential there they might have absolutely savage games because they're a really good full back line on their day and if you give them the right ball. But I think we saw the indications that they are they can be got at if you go at them and you get the ball in early. So I think Kilkenny will be looking at it that way and I know we'll cover it more next week. But there is places there that me as a Kilkenny supporter I'm thinking, you know, this mightn't be as as, as simple as, as people the neutral might think. Yeah, check out us no plan. BGA on Twitter if you want to see these stats but uh, the Dermot Ryan ones show a very impressive performance first of all his heat map shows he was in the Wexford half more often than he was in the Clare half which just goes to show how high up he was defending throughout the game 14 possessions he gets on 3 points 2 assists 6 other successful passes which didn't turn into scores but he was getting the ball uh, into his forward successfully he won 1 Clare puckout which was sent to him out of 1 he also pushed up and won 2 Wexford puckouts and he forced 4 turnovers throughout the game too which is very very impressive scale it's exactly what you'd probably want from an attacking right wing back really yeah but if we're even systematically I know everyone will point to Jim Ryan and rightfully so listen he had a great game but I'm looking at, at like how the the system facilitates him you know so it's easy in theory to say Jim Ryan off you go there and just go unwillingly and feel you know there's these buzzwords freedom you know I use you know where you can up the pitch there with no problem but then look at Ryan Taylor look at Cotton Malone Dave Fitzgerald these guys so they're providing him a platform as well. And I'm not just saying it's, it's him. I'm not saying they're picking him out specifically, but the whole Clare team, you know, the kind of the, the 5 to 12, they're playing such, such unison that, that they're playing Jimmy Ryan on Saturday. Next week, it could be John Conlon. <laughs> the week after, it could be David Fitz again. You know what I mean? They're just being facilitated and they have a really good system. That comes with minutes on the pitch. 
that comes with you know repetition, repetition, and play, playing hard battles and finding out if a system works. And they found out it does work. So it'd be interesting to see, as Murph said, he said last week about the matchups with with Kikini and and their their ability to to get matchups correctly for big games. And this is precisely one. Like so, there's going to be a lot of big calls to make on behalf of Brian Cody. For example, who goes on Tony Kelly? What to do with Martin, like uh, Peter Duggan, etc. Notifying Shane O'Donnell, who now we know is is. I won't say the heartbeat of the team, but yes, he's certainly circulating a bit of blood there for them as well, you know. So like he's they're they're fierce, important players. And like Wexford, they they provided a bit of a platform how to do it. Like, and you consider Matthew Hannon was I thought was excellent. He cleaned out Dugan. There's no, no issue there. Um Rick did a great job in Tony Kelly for a period, which just goes to show do you have to bring in a fresh pair of legs again for Tony Kelly for the last 10 minutes? I don't know, because he popped up with his you know. His best spell of the game was the last probably nine, ten minutes, you could say. Uh, his his yeah. last score scale was absolutely outrageous. The one where he ends up like I mean, a turtle on his back. He still manages to get back up and pop it over the bar. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, yeah, it's, it's stuff. It's like uh, it's play, PlayStation kind of stuff. Like you wouldn't think, like you would go treat Murph up when he's back. And if you, were, if you were to get a still image and see him there and go, I know, he's not getting up. They're not, yeah, not yeah, letting him up. Yeah, yeah. And then you see a play on and he scores and you're going, Jesus, man, is that human? Do you know? Yeah. It's just the kind of form he's in at the minute. And he's probably the favourite for her of the year. Rightfully so. He's doing these things and producing these moments that no other player in the country is doing at the moment. So, look, it's a big test for Kikini. I think they'll relish it. Uh, I, I think everyone will be will be hopping on the clear bandwagon. But I always say, what this, I, I call them devils, these Kikini devils, right? <laughs> I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. And if there's any team, truthfully, I mean, this hand in heart, any team who can plot and implement and take down clear at the moment, I, I do think it's Kinney because they have all the tangibles, history, the type of clientele and their DNA and the way they tackle. So if you can get to clear on a high tackle rate, you wouldn't know where it takes you. Yeah. Murph, it's pity the way that Rory O'Connor's season ended, you know, given that he was such a bright spark for Wexford throughout the early part of the year and even coming into the start of the championship. And then that game seemed well set up for him when Wexford were playing on the counter. Seems he suffered a bad muscle injury in his leg. There was no confirmation on the exact nature of the injury after the game when Darry Egan was speaking to Oshin Langan on off the ball. But he was worried that it was possibly a bad injury that might affect the rest of uh, Rory's summer when he goes back to play a duel with his club. Hopefully that's not going to be the case. But losing Rory O'Connor to injury was a big blow, like both as a scoring threat and also what his pace might have done in that second half against Clare. Yeah, and as you said, this game was probably made for Rory O'Connor just to grow into and potentially throw in a man-of-the-match performance and who knows where that takes Wexford. But losing him at such an early stage before he could really have a savage influence of the game, um, it was just a killer blow. Like you know, And it's, it's something that, look, you just can't weigh off for You hope your players come through it, and, but you probably have this pool of three or four players that you hope that they stay on the pitch for 70 minutes. And Rory O'Connor is one of them for Wexford. So to see him go off so early, like invariably in, in so many games... Roy O'Connor has a massive influence on him and in the league he was right up there in terms of top three performance in the league after the group stages really um, so the likes of this the likes of this game like when we played them in the Leinster final in 2019 you know Rory O'Connor kind of turned the game there when he when he ran down the left hand side um, got a great score for Wexford like he's very influential that way and when the game is equally when the game is you know in the jaws there he's, he's there but also when you need to kick on potentially like when Wexford went up by five that's the time where Rory O'Connor would just you know grab the bull by the horns and potentially seal it like you know so the likes of those players to have them on the pitch 
it would was you know was crucial for Wexford, and unfortunately, you know, it was a serious blow there to lose to lose Rory O'Connor so early. And look, of course, he'll be disappointed with it, but look, that's just part of the sport. Sometimes these things happen, and you just have to kind of go with it. But hopefully, he won't be missing out with this club. Hopefully, he gets back maybe in a few weeks. But um, a tough a tough one for him and for the Wexford supporters. Yeah, it's no coincidence that when the game wilted a little bit for Wexford, that Rory O'Connor's not on the pitch, Dio O'Keefe's not on the pitch, Damien Reck is not on the pitch. When those players are off. And Clare were able to just inject that bit of energy. And particularly Skell Shanahar, who came in and impressed. Because we were wondering if he was going to get back into the side. Because it seemed, as you said, it was very set in that forward line. And Shanahar was kind of looking probably in a substitute role for the rest of the season. We were wondering even how prominent he was going to be coming off the bench. Well, he came on and made some impression. 1-2. Now, it comes down to a mistake uh, from Mark Fanning in the goal. And we can maybe talk about yeah. the nature of the mistake. But Shanahar was there when he was needed to just lash that ball into the net, put over two good scores as well. I believe he went and played very well for his club yesterday afternoon when some of the players were released out by Brian Lone. And that's a big boost for Clare getting ready for the semi-final that it seems Shanahan has playing himself into a bit of form here. Yeah, you, like you need everybody pushing. Like we've often said on this pod about how 1 to 15 don't get to a certain level unless 16 to 30 push them to that level. You know, that's... that's that's what you want to see. A prime example of Aaron Sharer coming in, but he, this kind of this guy, he, you know, he confuses me a bit. Honest to God, because he's on the he's on the road a good bit. Like he's on the road not just today or yesterday, but he's around a few years, you know. And like he was a problem for us when we played him in eighteen. He came on the first day in the semi final versus Clare, and he pu- he pulled the ball out of the sky that myself and John Henbury lost and roofed it. Like and then in the second the second day he came on and caused a whole a whole host of hassle. That's four years ago. And like you haven't really seen much of him. Now I, I can granted he's probably had some injury issues. And I saw him when I was doing the Clare Waterford game down in Innes this year, and they were training after. Uh he looked a bit unfit, to be honest, I'm not going to lie. But then yesterday he looked the opposite. So he looked in really good, sharp shape. And then when they when he showed the high behind from the goals, he was moving laterally across the goal and off that, which is fundamentally part of Clare's forward movement system. That's fundamentally what they're after. Like Duggan, you can say, is their 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 holding number nine, the guy who holds up everything and everyone comes in around and say. So everybody else has to create an awful lot of movement around them. And so maybe I would have questioned Aaron in years previous, like, was he working hard enough off the ball? It's easy work when you're on the ball, but when you don't have the ball, you might have to make 10 runs to get one. You know what I mean? And so I think yesterday he, or on, on Saturday, should I say, he was coming and he was putting an awful lot of energy into the game. So it's good for him to come in, get a bit of match fitness, a bit of match sharpness and try and move forward. And like I said, surprisingly, he was released back to his club um, not, not sure it's because of the club he's from you know, but himself and Rory Hayes went back out and played a club game a Clare Cup game and played admirably I, by all accounts he scored a hat-trick I think mm. so like he's he's had a good weekend for, for club and county and again if Clare are going to move forward and try to get to Kilkenny they need everyone they need 25 players because you can see the power of the panel it's, it's just it's so evident in today's game 15 doesn't do anymore doesn't even come closer anymore you need 20-25 all day long yeah um, Skell, I'll ask you about the goalkeeping situation. This is going to come up a couple of times now across these two games, but we start with the Mark Fanning one. It seemed to me, look, you've played in the heat of battle and you know what it's like if you make a mistake and there's no hiding place if you're a goalkeeper because you're <laughs> the last line of defence. So any mistake by a goalkeeper is amplified compared to anywhere else on the pitch. But it seemed maybe it was just a slight mental switch off moment from Fanning when he thought that the ball was securely in his hand. He almost got down to scramble it, but in trying to scramble it away, it didn't get to safety and went straight to Shanahan to go into the net. It yeah. turned out to be a very costly mistake, but is this what, what happens sometimes within games? Probably when you're thinking about not necessarily where the ball is going into your hand, Fanning is probably thinking about where he's looking to distribute it to try and get a score at the other end. That is exactly because I can tell you with, with complete certainty, it happens, them type of mistakes, and I, I, I'll use the Eva Quilligan one, 
and I used the Mark Fanning, and I, I contrast them. So the Mark Fanning one was one that you can class as a routine catch. He had protection in front of him. The ball was coming straight into his hand, and he was probably thinking, I'm going to my right. I'm going to my right now, and I'm going to distribute it out to whoever. You know, So he was probably a phase or two ahead of himself before he had the ball. He jumps up, and I guarantee you what happened is just a, it's, it's the slightest percentage of degree of a malfunction up, upstairs where he's, he's thinking about his next step as opposed to the primary step, which is secure the ball first. That happens. Happened me plenty of times. You know, it, happens, it happens every goalie, and it happens every person out playing in a game. But the trouble, as you said yourself, well, it's not highlighted as much as in the goals. The Eva Quilligan one's a different story. Mm. I think Eva is kind of anticipating that Lee Chin is going to get a connection. So, like, uh, Lee Chin is obviously, uh, he's pulling, you know. He doesn't make a connection, but the trouble is, and I was said in commentary, Eva should just come out and catch the ball with your, in, in your stomach. That was a bullshit comment. Like you could, you can't come out. You can't come out right in under the two lads and catch the ball in your stomach. That was such a bullshit comment. Plus, that, like, would you not be trusting? Because at that stage, right, Chin, I think, is two players coming in around him when he goes to swing. You're yeah. probably, if you're the goalkeeper, you'd be trusting your two men in the full back line to take care of where that ball is landing. Trust is, is one word. Demand is another word. Hmm. So if if if, for example, now I was playing with Dahi, and if I said Dahi, you're up you can be sure as I'm sitting here that he would clear man ball and everything. Or if I said break, if I said break, he'd clear out his man and leave it to me. And that's all judged off the trajectory of the ball. So I, I, I would presume Ever saw that ball coming in, knew it wasn't going to get to him towards his stomach, it was going to break ground in front of him, i.e. five yards out from, so he'd probably call Cleary to, to clear it out, just to bat it out, get it out of there. And just Chin did a good job. Chin, Chin held off, Cleary did a good job. And the situation didn't develop for either for him to come out and catch it. It, couldn't, it can't happen, trust me, because you're trying to anticipate, A, does Chin get a connection? And if he does, you're screwed. But you'll always have to get behind the ball. You cannot anticipate a connection. Otherwise, you know, you can win an ass off. And the ball just bounced and it goes in. And that happens. It just happens. I, like, I wouldn't... It's easy for people to blame either in the goals. Very, very simple, right? But primarily, and you're touching it, your fullback has got to clear him out there. He's got to get that ball out of there, clear it out. And, uh, and and make sure it doesn't, doesn't hit the ground. I'd always say, if a puck out comes down on top of your half-back line, you can't let it through you. It has to go out in front of you. The same way thing, when a high ball comes in on top of your full-back, and if it's dropping on top of him, that's the thing, on top of him, on top of you, he's got to clear it out. It's as simple as that. So, Ever Quilligan, I would give him, if you're, if I was to apportion blame, I'd probably give him 10%, to be honest, and I'd give 90% to the full-back. For Mark Fanning, I'm afraid it's just the way the cookie crumbled from, it's 100% on him. And the same goes on for Patrick Collins. I was watching Keenan Fahey come in and I can say, I'd probably say Keenan was running at him, roaring at him, do you know what I mean? And by the time Patrick dro- make, drops the ball, Keenan is, is probably in the region of four or five yards away from him. So that all contributes as well. And I think Patrick and, and, and Mark suffered the same fate. They're just, they were talk, thinking about their next phase as opposed to seeing what's in front of them. Yeah. Defender's perspective on this one, Murph, when it came to Clare's defending then of those balls coming in. So they've conceded from a high ball very early on in the game. So the warning is there that Wexford have no problem launching this long. Two balls will get launched in, obviously, in quick succession. You're thinking particularly after the first one. And I appreciate that Chin and McDonald are big guys. They're good targets to have up in an inside forward line. But surely Clare got enough warning from early in the game and the first Chin goal to not allow it to happen again so quickly. Yeah, that's it. You'd imagine that if it is to happen once, straight away you're bookmarking that and going, listen, we can't let that happen again. That was a cheap score. Because they kind of are, like, they're, yeah, you give credit, Grand, um, to, like, let's say, Jack O'Connor's score where he would kind of went up uncontested, really. Like, I mean, there was no real hard challenge put in them or anything. Um, and then you look at the two Lee Chin, uh, go, well, I don't know, did Lee Chin even get a touch to, to, to the one that dropped in? I think, but, I think he'll claim it. On the slow-mo, to yeah. me, at least it looked like he got the barest of touch. And maybe actually, like to give credit to the clear keeper, 
he's probably anticipating, as Gal said, a more full connection from the herd. Yeah. And if anything, the fact that it's only glanced from where the, from where Fanning has put it in probably made it more difficult to save. But but anyway, you're dealing with the two instances here. Yeah. Look again. Like the the go to position for those ones, if there's a high ball coming in, you're getting up there and you're clearing because even the referee will actually give the full back the benefit of the doubt in that situation because it's very basic. You know, you're getting up, you're going up hard, you're either blocking it. The main thing is you're stopping that ball coming through and you're making it go back out into a safe place. And likewise, the half backs should be flooding in because they're expecting you to do a basic job of first of all, you're going to stop the ball going through. Ideally, if you can catch it, grand, but. Like you're taking a risk catching it, get it out, block it down, and then you want your backs in swarming so that no one can pick it up. Like for the one that bounced into the goal, um, like it, it, you could be up a lot stronger there, you know, arm into leech in there, and you're getting the hurl up and you're, you're stopping him getting a clean swing at it, even you know, play the arm, whatever you want to do. For the other one, Chin was onto the break quickest, and like again, you need lads getting in, swarming them there straight away. This ball is dropping in, dangerous ball. So yeah, you have to learn from from the first one anyway, definitely. That listen, lads, no no tolerance for the second one. Just get it out of there. So yeah, it, it is. Um, they're cheap ones to give away, and there's certainly ones that Claire look at and go, well, look, going forward, you know, we're not going to win an All Ireland letting these type of goals go in. We have to get rid of these balls and we have to find a solution to it. So definitely Brian Lowen, especially Brian Lowen, a man who would have, like, you know, ate these up in his day, he will let, definitely look at this going, lads, no tolerance for this. They're the last ones that are going in because, you know, we're not, like I said, we're not going to win All Irelands if you're letting balls just drop into the net there and kind of letting the full forward have the free run of either getting the break or getting a swing at the ball. Yeah, but you can't allow that type of opportunity if it's Walter Welsh the next day or if they get back to play Limerick, if it's Flanagan or Galan or again, players who are very good in the air, they can't afford to be as accommodating. And I'd say, yeah, if teams are meant to be an image of their manager, they'd be sickened if you're Brian Lowen looking at that word. That's exactly the type of ball he would have probably relished uh, dealing with back in his heyday. It is yeah. kind of intriguing as well how long it is since these teams have played each other, um, Scal. 2006 since the last championship meeting between them which maybe says a lot about the provincial system and um, you know keeping teams apart that they couldn't have played each other in that 16 year spell since and bizarre in a way that Lowen was playing against Cody at the time player versus a manager and now here they are on the sideline against each other but in a way Skell does that make this game really interesting because we haven't seen them meet in the business end for so long that this feels like a nice fresh semi-final to look forward to Yeah I think um, was that 06 was that the Jerry Quinn incident that time I with Henry so. Shefflin. I think so, yeah. That was the last time they met. So, like, but at, at that time, like, Kikini were in their pomp, you know, and they had they'd obviously beaten Clare in Ireland final a couple of years previous too, so they were quite strong, you know. So, And again, publicly, I think people would say that the tables, I won't say have turned, but they've, they've evened up a bit now. So, like, Clare are coming in as favourites. So, And they haven't played in a while, especially in the heat of a championship fixture. So it'd be very interesting to see. And two different contrasting styles of Clare. So, like, Clare I seem to play with a, you know, a real kind of free-flowing, high-energy attack from all sides kind of everyone flying V job everyone up the middle and see how things work out with Kinney are very they're very methodical I like, I like the way they play to be honest very methodical strong at the back you know and everyone is kind of on an evil keel there's no standout player I would say for Kinney at the moment they're all extremely balanced work like dogs let's say so I'm interested to see how that Kinney dog work as I, put, as I put it goes up against the clear energy and the clear big players so it's again it's nice to see um, from a neutral perspective um, I don't think Murphy will be carrying out too many norms. You can just tell by him that he's he's relishing this this uh, opportunity for Kinglas to go up against the clear and underdogs. So he loves the underdogs tag, but the looks of it, <laughs> I can feel it. I can sense it across the screen. 
But uh, it'll be an intriguing fixture. Like Antonio Kelly getting back to Co Park. It's been a what? It's been a few years. I think probably eighteen was the last time since he was there. I'd imagine. So it's yeah, been 18, kind of eighteen. Would you believe Skell is the only time they've played in Crow Park since twenty thirteen final replay against Cork? Was it? Mm-hmm. And the replay was in Sample Stadium. So this, they only had one shot in Crow. Well, Park. Was in Sample Stadium. Yeah, happy there. Imagine I was playing it. I was I'm forgetting where it was. Where the replay was <laughs> for a second. Yeah, probably because of some concert or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, geez, and like the Clare people, like they'll travel fierce as well. You know what I mean? Like Kikini, Kikini don't travel that well more. Like, I just, why is that? Oh, we're only a small old county, James. I don't go away. There's not many of us down here, like you know. <laughs> yeah. Clare, Clare, Clare travel well. Like it's like when, yeah. you're, when you're looking at the football quarterfinals coming up here at the weekend, and you're looking at you know, you're looking at Derry, looking at Armagh, and you're saying they're going to travel like. And then with Clare getting back to Co Park after a couple of years. They're going to travel. So in the semi-finals for this, you could probably see. I'm hazarding a guess. Would you see sixty-five, seventy thousand out of handy? Well, the allocation for this weekend at the football, James, seems to have been sold out for the counties already. I saw some Armagh supporters pointing out that there were no more tickets to be bought within the county, and that they've been nailing Ticketmaster over the last week or so to buy up as many tickets as they possibly can. So if there's as many Armagh people going as it seems, <laughs> well, Park's not going to be too far off full this weekend. Okay, nice one, which Good. is great. Good, good, especially with those counties who haven't got back in a while. Um, like that, again, I, I won't say it's ways. It's, when you're in the middle of a game, I say you're, you're not really focused on the crowd, but there are times when, you know, the game is in the melting pot where you, you need your crowd. You need your supporters to kind of get with you a small bit and try to pose or impose a bit of pressure onto the opposition. So I'd just be interested to see, let's say, a player will come with a... So they will come with a, a, a big group of people, regardless of cost and regardless of you know, all the talk on hotels and diesel. They'll travel. <laughs> no problem, they'll travel. Uh, and it's just interesting what, what way uh, Kikini people travel. I think there could be like, two, could be two to one. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, prove me wrong there, Murph. Can, <laughs> can give, give, me, Murph. give me your case yeah. there, Murph. I like hand account for everyone. I'm not doing a roll call. <laughs> Come here, on, Murph. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, like I, I do think like the, the Clare supporters, yeah, look, it is down to the Kikini supporters to to match the Clare support. There's no doubt there's going to be absolutely enormous, um, enormous Clare support to this. In terms of numbers for it, I, I'd say... I'd be kind of going towards the 60,000 mark. I just have that kind of in my head. Like, you know, as in obviously with the football the weekend, you see like that that's selling out and it's, it's you know, there's there's uh, obviously savage demand for it. But I kind of see this maybe being around 60,000, 60, 65,000 at a push. I could be wrong, could be completely corrected on that. But um, yeah, look, it's it's for the Kilkenny crowd to, to, to get behind and match the Clare crowd in this. I, like the Clare crowd, very few counties will match the Clare crowd in terms of, turning up in their throngs for games um, and there's a real carnival atmosphere certainly with the Clare crowd as well so yeah no look here it's up for the Kilkenny crowd to, to match that and be as loud because like you said it does have an effect on the game you know if, it, yeah. if a team if a team let's say gets their, their backs up and they kind of go through a purple patch if you if a player feels that and kind of thinks you know they, they have a bit of a run on us here the crowd will highlight that but you know you hear the chants going up and you hear the crowd you know that feeds into the small bit of maybe angst for one team a bit of nervousness and it also builds the other team to give it m- momentum so like it is a very important thing and it's important for the Kilkenny supporters as well to get up there because the Clare crowd will be like Hill 16 will be rocking I think for this semi-final and it'll be the Clare crowd up there now in fairness we have a great crowd that pack out Hill 16 ourselves but, uh, <laughs> you know as for the rest of us now to pack out the rest of Crow Park Murph one other point about the coverage before we talk about Galway and Cork do you catch the fact that David Fitzgerald was asked about Brian Lone right towards the very end of the coverage before it went to the Saturday movie and he was asked about giving credit to Lone for where Clara got 
Didn't even mention Brian Lone by name. Now, I know there's no great surprise. Like, it's quite clear there's an incredibly frosty relationship between these two men. Surely it gets to a point that you nearly can't have someone on punditry to talk about a team where there's that level of dislike about the manager for the team and actually be objective. Yeah, like it, it completely defeats the purpose. And I think you, all, you also have to be the kind of bigger man here. Like regardless if you don't like Brian Lowen, like let's say if Davey doesn't like Brian Lowen, like you have to give the man credit. Like call a spade a spade. Like, you know, as in, let's say traditionally over the years, like if we didn't get on with Galway or we didn't get on with Tip, like there was still a respect there where you went, well, we acknowledge what they're doing and they're good at X, Y and Z and okay, we mightn't see eye to eye, but like you have to give a respect there. And it wasn't a case that you go out there and you don't mention Galway or you don't mention Tipperary because by mentioning their name, you're doing something wrong. It's the same with Davy Fitz here. Um, like Brian Lowen has done a great job. He's taken a lot of flack. If you don't see eye to eye, even man, you're a pundit. You know, do the job there and say, well, say he's either doing a bad job or a good job, but call it. But like the idea that you don't say his name as if that's you know it's it's nearly a slight on Brian Lowen. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. It's not really objective objective there to actually or objective punditry there to actually to go along and not mention his name and kind of just wish the question away. Like you know he's doing a good job. We all know it's do, he's doing a good job. By you not saying it doesn't doesn't make it disappear. So yeah, I think it was a small bit. Was it would petty be the right word not to? Only petty. Not to get, do you know what I mean? Like as in just get over it and and call it as you see it. If you're there to do a job, people want to hear your opinion, and to, you know just just get over it. Really. Sorry, it didn't go to the Saturday movie. I just remember there it went to the URC coverage in South Africa ahead of the final after the game. So that's pretty much how the coverage finished up. Uh, let's hear from Brian Lowen then. He spoke to our reporter Ushin Langan after the game about Clare's performance, picking that last 10 minutes spell or so, and also looking forward to taking on Kilkenny in a couple of weeks' time. Tell me how you're feeling after that game of what I'd normally say two halves, but I'd suggest three quarters for Wexford and one quarter for ye. Yeah, well, look, um, the, you'd, you know, it's great to come out on the right side of, a, of, 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 the, of, of the result, you know, to, um, to get the win. Um, I suppose two weeks ago we were here and we didn't get the win. Um, so, um, yeah, there's a, a bit of relief there and um, a certain amount of satisfaction that um, when it was really put up to us that, that our lads played so well. Are these the difficult ones to prepare for? Because I suppose coming into it, you had to get over the disappointment of the Munster final when you throw everything at a team and don't quite get the result. Psychologically, it's tough. Physically, I imagine that was a tough game to get over. And then you throw the distractions in of where the lads going to play, where they're not going to play, where they're suspended, where they're not suspended. It was, it was not exactly the perfect mix for preparation, was it? Yeah, look, I suppose it just was what it, what it, what it was. You just have to get on with it. Um, the... Um, um, the boys were suspended and then they weren't suspended so you know it was it was a downer obviously that they were suspended and then a bit of a boost when um, they were cleared to play and um, sure look it was I suppose it was it was it was a different kind of uh, game for us to prepare for. We were we were favoured to win it, which was uh, different for us, um, and probably didn't handle that as well as we could have, um, and didn't play well at all in the first half. Was it hard to get the preparation right, given that you found out maybe late enough that the lads were going to play? Was it difficult for you? Was it difficult for the squad? Was it difficult for everyone? Uh, no, it's just the way it is. Like you know, you you you, you have your you always know that you have your Thursday morning at nine o'clock to have your um, twenty six in. So we had our twenty six in, and we were able to include Rory, and uh, we were able to include P- Peter in that twenty six, and um, it just was what it was. Now back to the actual game itself. Um, it was. I'm going to say the bench that won it for you but they contributed when they all came on especially Aaron Shanner who got 1-2 towards the end and Tony Kelly obviously kind of 
got into it even more, scored three points from play at half, or in the second half. Shane O'Donnell did what Shane O'Donnell has been doing all year. Yeah, look, um, um, tremendous uh, performances for, from, from, from the lads that came in. But it has been coming a bit because, you know, they have been itching to, to, to get on and they just haven't been able to get on because the fellas have been playing well. Um, so delighted for them. They're working as hard as everyone else. Um, and uh, they got the opportunity when, you know, we were up against it. Um, and um, in fairness to them, they did the business. And now you're going to Crow Park and facing Kilkenny. Yeah, it's, you know, another big challenge. Um, but something that we're really looking forward to. We haven't been there in a while. And um, we will uh, we'll see how it goes. You've been part of some great banner summers as a player. What's it like as a manager? Because you know yourself, that day against Kilkenny, it is going to be just amazing in Crow Park. The atmosphere will be great. Clare will bring a huge crowd. And there's hardly a better team... Um, to watch and enjoy even from the neutral point of view when, when they get on a bit of a run as you have? Yeah, well, look, uh, you know, um, anyone that's inside the dressing room, you know, they want to represent their county as, as well as they possibly can. And, you know, the best place to represent your county is above in Crow Park. That's where everyone wants to be. So, um, you know, really looking forward to that and um, happy for the, for, for the group of players that they are getting the opportunity to go up there. So that was the Clare manager Brian Lone in conversation with Oisín Langan after Saturday's game between Clare and Wexford. Now the opening game was a win for Galway after their Leinster final disappointment. Bouncing back, good first half performance, Cork better in the second half, but Galway in the end winning by 219 to one goal and 21. Skell, we've already spoken about the mistake just seconds into the game really, where the Jack Grealish ball, which was definitely a shot for a point, dipped under the crossbar. Collins would be very disappointed that he lost the flight of the ball and it ended up in the back of the net. Galway, I thought, played pretty well first half, but Cork missed so many chances, it's insane. They did. Like, I, I, I can't even say that Cork missed the chances because of excellent Galway pressure. You know, Cork missed a lot of chances where they had, you know, ample time, they had ample space in front of them. They, they weren't under such undue, undue pressure that would put them off great, greatly, but, and they still missed them, so... They'll come away very, very disappointed. Like I was, I put up a tweet there that I'll take it absolutely. It was a performance that, you know, I was happy that they put in a workmanlike performance. You could say that we, we tackled hard, uh, we were physical, we we went at them as best we could. You could say with the, with the clientele we had, and we came through. And that's all that I wanted for to happen was on Saturday was the performance is one thing, yeah, fair enough. But if you played well and got bit, what good is that? I just wanted to get, to play, you know sufficiently to get us through the next round that's it just get us through and we did enough just we just did enough and regardless of people have their arguments about the amount of wides and and you know the incidents and should hoggy have started etc etc that's all grand i don't care we're moving on <laughs> that's it you know what i mean that's all that was the target at the weekend you know, i'm sorry to be so blunt about it but our target was to get through cork and get towards limerick and now we've a massive challenge ahead of us in two weeks probably you know we don't have much of a chance to be honest let's be frank against limerick we we've we we have we do have a clear shot, you know. So I'd say it'll be uh, it'll be very interesting two weeks in in, in Galway's camp that where they'll be plotting trying to take down Limerick, uh, a very very difficult proposition. No one's done it to date. The best anyone has managed is, is a draw against them, even in away territory. So it's going to be a massive challenge, huge challenge, and uh, one we're looking forward to. But again, as, as I'll repeat, got through got through Saturday. That's enough. I'll take it. Move on. All right, before we bring in Murph on the performance of the two sides, it's a good time to bring in one of the comments from the Instagram here, which came in from Shane Bannerton. Here we go. Is, is Sheffield's <laughs> strategy too predictable and basic, or are Galway able to vary it up the next day against Limerick? Answer the first part first. Does the strategy feel a little bit too predictable from Galway? 
You know, like, this is the guess thing I found in today's game. You know, everyone's strategy is the same. Everybody's strategy is the same. It's all about ball retention. So it's all about creating space in, in kind of the middle third to deliver fastball to fouls. It's all the same. It's just like you watch Galan and Fanagan uh, coming on the ball. They're coming on to the same type of ball that Whelan's getting, but Whelan seems to be under a bit more pressure. You know, it's just, it's, it's who's inputting or implementing this system better. And Limerick have it off to a flipping fine art at the minute. And that's just the reality of it. So they're, they're top dogs. They're, they're operating a system that everyone's trying to get to. So they're five, four, eight, and three. They're five years in the system, if not six. So they have a down to a T. Whereas Galway are trying to implement this system under the first year tutelage of Henry. So I, using the word predictable, you know, I find that a bit misleading, to be honest, and a bit disingenuous because they're trying to mix up short ball with long ball, like we saw the last day. And they're trying to play it through the middle, uh, trying to get their ball players on the ball, like Cahal and, and David and Tom Monan and Joseph to get to invariably get the ball into Connor and Brian. So, and that's just the same thing that, you know, bear the exception of Claire, who seemed to operate an awful lot through Tony Kelly, but they're all trying to do it. Like, Kenny are trying to do it, mix them with some long range shooting. Limerick, do you know what we're doing? So it's all the same. Predictability, no. The only thing I have the question I have, Will, and it is a concern. It's a big concern. And, you know, Aina played really well in the goals. No two ways about it. Um, but Cork afforded them an awful lot of opportunities in the sharp out. So there's, you see there in the second half where, where Cork had a sweeper back in front of Whelan there, even though Whelan's in the half-forward line. That meant there was five Cork forwards versus six Galway backs. And it was able to pick off the puck outs with, with relative ease, to be honest. Uh, case in point, Joseph Cooney's long-range point. Um, that's not going to happen in two weeks. No way. Limerick are going to do the same thing they did to us uh, two years ago, whereby they're going to push everyone up. They're going to go six on six up front and they're going to make it go along down on top of Burns, Hannon, etc. And that's an area where we're under a bit of pressure, to be honest. So... Like when you consider that we're, we most likely have lost Garage Mack to a knee injury, that means we're going to have to probably chop and change Rob Peter to pay Paul and bring him back Joseph Cooney. I'd say, I'd imagine, I'm just guessing now, I'd imagine bringing back Joseph Cooney or something like it. And next thing you're losing one of your six fivers up front. So it's it's a, it's a, a very, very tall proposition, especially when you're playing against such a good system in Limerick. So that's a, a concern for mine and a big concern, to be honest, because Limerick's like they use an awful lot of the turnover ball against you. So when you've got the puck out, and they shoot 40, 45, 50 times in a game. That means you've got obviously 50 book outs. And if they turn you over half the time and even put half those into scores, we're in a spot of bother. Yeah. I think, Murph, if, if we take it that there's a good chance that McInerney might miss the semi final, you probably have to bring back Cooney into that area because realistically, if you're going to shore up your defence, you're going to have to have someone who can actually deal with whether it's Keane Lynch or whether it's Garrod Hegarty in that position. My assumption would be it probably would be Keane Lynch coming back into the team. But such a kind of crucial area to pitch you probably have to sacrifice what Cooney can give you further up the field to shore that area up. Yeah, you do. And I think he's the best man for the job that Galway have at the disposal at the moment. And, you know, he did a good job the other day when he was just put back there instead of McInerney. And again, the score came at an important time, the, the, the point he got from, from the puck out. Um, so he's probably the, the, the best qualified man to step in there. And like you said, he brings savage physicality to that position as well, which anywhere you can get physicality, um, the matchups right against Limerick is really important. So I think he's the obvious one there. I and, mean, you know, we saw the likes of Jason Flynn then being introduced further up the pitch. Like what, what Galway kind of have to do is nearly a ripple effect. They nearly have to bring one fella back each way. If, if Joseph Cooney goes back, you know, they nearly have to bring one of their half forwards back out and so on because they don't necessarily have a like for like matchups where, where like Limerick yeah. nearly have two for each position. Like Limerick can, you know, if one person goes off in the right half back position, they can nearly introduce a right half back for them. Whereas the kind of every other team pretty much at the moment has to do a little bit of a reshuffle. But he does seem like the, the most obvious um, 
the most obvious contender now at the moment to be centre back. I don't see who else. Like let's say if McInerney is out, it'll it'll most likely have to be Joseph Cooney centre back because he went back there. Like we, Garish got injured with a a knee or ankle injury in 2018, and Joseph went back to seven. I think mm. or was it five? No, it was five. Excuse me for the replay against Clare, and he was awesome. Mm. You know, like he he's a, I th- I think it's fair to say he's a back first. Yeah. That would be he's probably the half back. Let's yeah. say. He would have played a lot of his time as centre-back for Sarsfields and then go up in the forwards, you know, depending on what the requirements were at the time. So, like, he's well used to playing the backs. And like you said, we don't have, a like for like replacement, we don't have a guy 6'5 who can shoot on both sides and run out defences to come in and replace Chukuni. We just don't, you know. So that's going to be a different proposition for Henry's management team, how to curb that. But again, if he goes to, let's say, 6 or if he goes to a 5 to take up Gareth Egerty, you know, you still have a good half-back lane with, with Porrick and, and Finton Burke. But again, our forwards, they get depleted a small bit. And if we're delivering long ball, as I, said, I reiterate, tough proposition. Scale, to ensure that we're not seen as that we're ragging on goalkeepers, let's get a bit of balance here. Because I put a tweet <laughs> about the fact that it would have been a bad day for goalkeepers at Semple Stadium because we had high-profile mistakes across both games. And you were quick to point out, not all goalkeepers. So yeah. <laughs> Murphy had played very well for Galway. And um, I'm pretty sure after that, a few other people had, uh, had chimed in on it. And the feeling was that probably, at least what I was thinking anyway, is that this is one of the best performances that he's had. Ken Hogan was saying it's probably the best he's seen him play for Galway. I think I probably agree. I mean, I, I can't remember Brandon Murphy having a better game. Like Cork gave him lots to do. But what he did, he did it very well on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, like you're just like as a goalie, you're just looking for simplicity, you know, and just do this, just do the the simple things right, and do what comes your way, and like you don't have to get involved in the major theatrics or major kind of Schmeichel saves, like you call them. He just did everything right. That that's all. Just do it, do everything right, and people comment about the shots and you know all their easy save. Every commentator said it's an easy save for Aina. He'd be happy with that one. But if it went in, they'd be, they'd be saying a great goal. Do you know what I mean? So, like, he just dealt what came his way. He handled fierce well from open play. His distribution within 60 yards was excellent. And he stopped the shots that came his way. I can't say a word about him uh, for the goal that went in against him. The only thing I'd say is that, probably from our defence perspective, when you rewind to them, when we played the league in Parky Cueve, we conceded a goal the exact same manner, how the, the Red Sea parted, and they got in with, with no, uh, no one in between. Ain't it? Remember Patrick Horgan's goal? Same way he got in. That's the only thing I'd say. But um, And then the last thing is, as I repeat, the long post need a bit of work. Um, his game management was fine. No problem. But like in, in the tweets, you were saying his best performance. And I said, it definitely was his best performance in his three years in the goals. 100%. But he's going to have to reproduce an even better performance in two weeks. No two ways about it. He's got to be... If someone if someone's asking me, well, <clears throat> who's going to be our most important player against Limerick? I would say categorically, it's Anne Murphy. No two ways about it. Because you see what happens in Limerick, and I mean this with respect, now, I don't... Don't get me wrong. When you take Nicky out of a high-function unit, Nicky Wade or Limerick, they suffer. They do suffer. They're not the same. They're not the same. They're not as... They, they don't get the same platform. They don't get off as quick. They don't get the ball out as quick. They're not as accurate on puck outs. You know what I mean? They're not as, as, as assured. So, like, when you have Nicky out of Limerick, it doesn't tick as well. So, we need, we need Aina absolutely firing all cinders. And we need him to control the game completely from a, from a distribution perspective. And that's, that's done to the puck out. Because that's the most time we have the ball. We have the ball... The highest possession amount is when we have in our goalkeeper's hands and we can do what we can with it. So it's just how, the key is, how do we retain the second thing? <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's easy to have it in the goals, but keeping it and getting it up to the score, that's a huge challenge. Not for me, thankfully. <laughs> that's what the boys in there. I can sit back and talk about it, which is great. But uh, look, kudos to him. He did well. High pressure situation, but now he's got to get better and reproduce it again next week. Right, Murph. Before we talk about the Hoggy decision and Cork not starting him and maybe the effect that would have had 
Do you want to chat about the hit that you put up on Twitter? The video of Dahi Burke coming clean through on Hardy, um, sizing him up and hitting him with the shoulder. Some people feel that it was contact with the head as opposed to contact with the shoulder and Cork should have got a free in. But a lot of other people are saying it was a clean hit and this is exactly what you'd want your fullback to do. Do you think it was a, a good defensive move by him? Yeah, I think uh, Dahi Burke did absolutely everything he could to get a square shoulder. And to be honest, the pace the game is played at the moment, that's a square shoulder you're going to make. Um, you know, I was only thinking about it when we were talking about, let's say, the leech in pull down and the referees, uh, one, you know, needing to know where 25 metres is in from the sideline and then asking Pod O'Dwyer to make sure this is level. We're nearly turning referees into quantity surveyors, near needing measurements and then spirit levels to figure out was that shoulder perfectly square, different things of like this. But no, it was like, again, we freeze frame these things down. You'll find an angle that it doesn't look great on. That in one, no, if you look at that in real time, that's a brilliant shoulder. Um, and I think the only thing that people might say, well, if, if people are arguing that, or maybe Harnady was a little bit low um, by the time the tackle happened. Well, it was Harnady that actually kind of went down um, at the very, like, you know, literally, and it wasn't that he was trying to simulate, nothing like that. It was just the way he was travelling that he might have just literally a fraction of a second before he got to Dahi Burke. But that's as good a shoulder as you're going to see. It was a great hit. One or two people kind of, I suppose, argued for it, which you're going to do at that stage of the game. But... Um, you know straight out brilliant shoulder and I know a lot of people I saw a lot of stuff I got a lot of messages there on Twitter as well people you know saying it's not but to be honest any person who's played the game will know that that's as good a shoulder as you're going to get as particularly when lads are travelling at that speed that's a square and look at Dolly Burke as well you know he went for his shoulder he didn't go for anything else he didn't have an arm leading out his, his, his elbow was tucked by the side he was going to do one thing and he wasn't if he didn't land it he wasn't going to try and injure a player as well so I give full credit to he broke there it was a great hit and like I stood up off the couch when it happened as well it was one of those moments that. and if you look at the crowd like the crowd stand up as well it was just one of those huge moments of two colossal men hitting each other and it's I thought it was brilliant to be honest mm. it was probably textbook I think his shoulders go and it is a big lift when your defender gets a big hit in like that the one that I was confused about Skell was there was two or three free cork forwards around and the ball actually breaks free afterwards and they turn around to the referee to try and get a free surely you play the whistling you just keep going they could have got in for goal yeah and I, I just don't think the degree of ruglessness was there you know they were probably just more aggrieved to what they saw in front of them and it was a fair hit even in real time it looked like a fair hit to me but uh, if they were to, if they, if, they had the, if they had their heads about them, they could have seized an opportunity there and you could have been raising a green flag. Just look at it, it's a momentary lapse of concentration. I think they're probably more focused on what happens than what possibly can happen. So, and again, they look back, it's an opportunity lost. Patrick Horgan then. Murph, the decision was made not to start him. And I can totally understand where Kieran Kingston's coming from here before we debate the merits of him on the pitch and not been on the pitch. You look at the evidence of the last few games, they have worked really well as a forward unit since the Waterford game in the Championship. And that carried through over the last couple of games. They've played well, uh, going with a different, say, style of forward unit. Mm-hmm. And they've decided to leave Horgan on the bench when it came to the Antrim game. And then they decided this time out that they were going to leave their leading scorer of all time on the bench and they would start with what worked in the two games previously but there's definitely an argument to say that had he been around in that first half when frees were going wide and chances were being missed even if he's not getting through the most work even if he's not the most agile of the forwards that you put onto the pitch his shooting ability would have been a help for Cork in that first half I think 
Yeah, it would have been, but I, I kind of, it's one of these things that nearly put down to hindsight as well. Like, you know, Conor Lehan missed the first free. Do you whip Conor Lehan off straight away and get Patrick Horgan on? Like, do you make, or even another player, do you take them off to get Patrick Horgan on? You know, Lehan missed the second free then. At that stage, you know, do you go full Brian Lowen on it like you did to Rory Hayes and just get them off the pitch? It's a tough one because you might completely unsettle the team. Mm. And I think it's only when the dust settles on these things, you know, to give credit to Kieran Kingston. Like hindsight's a great thing. Like you look back and it and go, Jesus, Patrick Horgan, he wouldn't have missed those, you know, and he, and most likely Patrick Horgan wouldn't have missed those. But up until you know before that game threw in, we were you know talking about Conor Lehan as in a potential hurler of the year candidate. Like people, that's what way people were talking about him, saying that you know the move of bringing Tim O'Mahony in has provided something different for the forward line. You know, it was all justifiable what Cork were doing. It's just that in hindsight, when they failed to function, you looked and went, well, that's where we should have had Patrick Horgan in. It's a great thing to have it, to have a bit of hindsight, but, um, and certainly he would have made a difference, and he did make a difference when he was introduced, but it's one of those calls that I think Kieran Kingston just had to make, and I actually noticed, like, Tim O'Mahony, I think, turned over, I think it could have been Dahi Burke, maybe he wasn't in the first few minutes, and won a ball that we were kind of criticising Cork for quite a while, for these aren't the type of balls that their forwards are winning. So having Tim O'Mahony in there, for me early on, I was going, well, you know, he's doing what they want him to do in there, he's providing something that maybe other lads don't. But then, of course, when Patrick Horgan came on, you meant, well, look, he'll always get on the ball. He'll always get a few scores. And what also he'll do as well is the defence, the opposition defence, have to look at him. Like they have to to tie someone up with him because he's just that dangerous. He 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 takes a man out of the game because you have to mark him. So look, I'd put this one down to, and only my own opinion, I put it down to like hindsight being a brilliant thing. I think Cork set up genuinely the way they thought it was going to be best. And if those frees went over, Cork were in a great position. Um, especially the ones from the freeze, you know, got a goal chance. I don't think we're sitting here talking about should Patrick Horgan have started or not. A small thing would have tipped the balance here for Cork, I think. And I don't think we're sitting talking about that. But look again, um, it's great to look back on these things after a match and we're all very wise after matches but I think Kieran Kingston tried to do the best he could and put the best foot forward and if that meant not starting Patrick Horgan I think Kieran Kingston was just playing the game that he saw in front of him and, and what the last few results have told him In saying that Skell last week you answered your own question when you said would you be happy if Patrick Horgan wasn't starting and you said you would be because you would be happy enough for a guy with his shooting ability to be on the bench as opposed to being on the pitch against your team yeah, and I think uh, when you look, when, when Cork people as a whole look back and they see three missed goal opportunities and seventeen wides, they'll say, hmm, "If if how many? If, let's say a tenth of those opportunities fell to Patrick Horgan, what would be the result? Probably a green flag and a couple of points. You know, that's that's the reality of it. Like if, if those opportunities fall to Patrick, yeah, it's. It, I think the complexion of the game is different, but see, that's why we're highlighting it. And like I, I said last week, that um, Kieran Kingston is obviously making this decision because he has. He has data, he has facts, he sees what we don't see in training. Uh, he's got a game plan that he has, he's trying to make a forward unit adhere to. And all that might lean itself towards saying, right, Patrick's not in our top six forwards. Fair enough. But then, you look, then when the game peters out and you see the whole the manner in which Cork lost it. And like, I, I, I would say that, I, I wouldn't say, go, we won it, to be honest. I think Cork lost it, to be fair, to be frank. And you see that, that they, they squandered 317 effectively. You'd say if, if some of those opportunities fell to Hoggy, let's say he should be starting. That's the easy thing to do. That's the it's very, very simple to say that because you're you're pointing to a fact after it's happened. Um, but again, I, I do have to give credit to, to Kingston that he stuck to his guns, went to a system that he thought would be fruitful, and then introduced Hoggy at, at nearly enough stage, to be honest. Like he introduced him, I think it was at halftime. Yeah. So it's not like he introduced him for the last five minutes. He gave him a good solid 35 minutes hurling, if not 40, so to make it to make a, a huge impression. And it didn't happen, you know what I mean? So it's not as if like he he didn't get ample opportunity or time to come in and influence the game. 
But again, there's arguments to both sides of this, but the fact of the matter is like Kingston went through the decision. You live by the sword, you die by the sword. Um, and again, it just leaves me, I don't know why my brain goes this way. I'm just thinking, will, will, is he back next year? Kingston and Hoggy. I think Hoggy is back next year. I think there's a change in car management, if I'm honest. And uh, we could be writing some new chapters next year. It's a good question. I mean, uh, this came up uh, from Evan O'Hearn, who was in contact again this week on the Instagram, saying, is this time now for Cork Murph to go for an outside manager? You know, it's never happened before, but potentially could this happen? That They might look outside because I'm sure there's going to be discussions about Kieran Kingston. I know I was reading the Examiner today. He was yeah. saying it's disrespectful to be talking about the management um, with what Cork have achieved this year. That realistically, there should be a bit of time to settle and for them to be able to review. Take that point entirely. But say if they do make a decision in Cork that they're going to go with another management team, is there any chance they look outside? Um, yeah, it's funny you mention it. I didn't think of Kieran Kingston moving on, but when I was watching the Sunday game last night, I, I did think of Liam Sheedy giving a very glowing reference to Cork and saying the the um, the type of players they have and what they have coming through. Now, I'm not putting words in Liam Sheedy's mouth mm-hmm. thinking that he was putting his name out there, but it was funny when I was just watching it, I was thinking maybe maybe what Davey did a few weeks ago on the Sunday game, um, putting a CV out there for the Dublin job, maybe my brain was wired for that, but... Uh, yeah, for some reason, my brain last night when I was looking at the Sunday game, I was there going, like, Liam Sheedy's given a glowing reference here at Cork, and maybe that's all it was. Um, maybe, maybe it is. Maybe it is potential. And, like, I think Kieran Kingston, I've really enjoyed him as a manager as well because, like, he's, he seems, he comes across, and I don't know the man, as a very genuine fella, and he's done, he's put his best foot forward for a Cork, and I'd hate to be writing the man out of a job. You wouldn't know he could stay on another year, but, you know, if he is gone, do Cork go outside the county? Maybe they do, like, you know, maybe they do look for this new voice coming in. Maybe it's kind of like a reset button for a lot of the Cork players where they go, well, this is a new person coming in where it's a clean slate. And that that often has an effect on even a club when another manager comes in, particularly from the outside. It's kind of an incentive for players where they go. And you suddenly see players get form again because they're like, well, you know, this, this manager has no agenda, anything like that. They just want to see who they have in front of them and... It's, it tends to be refreshing and re-energising for teams. So potentially it is an option. But Cork are a very proud county. I think they might see that they have enough people in there putting their hand up that could potentially take the job. So I think Cork look internally first. And um, I think a lot of lads have put their hand up if it was to come. But it wouldn't be a bad option either looking outside the county because you know there are a lot of good lads out there that I think could benefit this crop of players. It will be the ultimate break in tradition if Cork went outside. But Eddie Brennan was speaking to OTBM this morning and he pointed out that technically he is a Cork man because he was born in Cork, so he could potentially take on this role. He was asked by Nathan and Owen this morning about the potential of stepping back into a job for next year. So you'll hear from Eddie and then on the back of Eddie, you'll hear from a very relieved Galway manager, Henry Shefflin, after they held on to win by a point in Semple Stadium. I'd love to see Eddie Brennan... Uh going in Cork <laughs> what are the chances <laughs> no I'd say my my only connection was I was born in Cork but oh but oh and, and uh, oh, well. so the there was a yeah yeah but uh, no I don't think I don't think I'd, I'd make questions at the moment now <laughs> but um, yeah look Jesus as a coach looking in from the outside you would definitely say the raw materials are there um, and, and I would have felt look someone I thought like Dermot O'Sullivan being in there I thought here's a guy who knows how to anchor a defence and how's to, how to and I'm not saying for a second you know did, did he fail him or whatever else it is but I just felt you know if, if you're young guys and you're in there as, as, as Cork guys looking up to someone who, who put it all on the line for Cork you know you'd surely be inspired by a guy like him but I do think there's, 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 there's good lads down there 
Um, I think, you know, should Kieran Kingston step away? Um, I personally feel looking in from the outside that 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 Ben O'Connor has done a good bit of work coaching down there. You know, is it is it someone like his time to maybe marry that? Because I thought he had that running, you know, skillful game, you know, himself and Jerry, that that kind of you know, you recall how effective that was. But equally Ben O'Connor was a tough competitor and he wasn't afraid to get stuck in either. So maybe, you know, maybe a fresh voice, maybe new ideas is is potentially what's what's needed down there now. But uh, I still think it was very brave of Kieran Kingston to go back in a second time. I think that's not an easy decision to make. Hypothetically speaking, what are the best jobs out there for a, a young hurling manager? <laughs> <laughs> you can ask Tommy this as well, or a few others. Um, yeah, it's, look, I, I, I would always look at every setup. I think you look in from the outside and you just go, is there guys in there you'd like to work with? I mean, you know, you look at, at, at what Limerick are doing at the moment. Claire, there's, there's so many attractive propositions. I think. To be fair, too, I, I equally think, you know, and, I, and I've spoke, spoken a bit tongue-in-cheek about even the Tipperary job. Like, I mean, I still think that if you're an aspiring Tipperary manager who believes you can do I think there's a good, there's a decent crew of lads to put a two- or three-year project together. So, um, but yeah, look, uh, that Cork group, I think there's a forward unit there. And I think, yeah, w- would you like to, would you like to think, we'd all like to think that you do, you know, a really good job definitely the ingredients are there I think for from a forward perspective but I think look, Cork's issue is probably just consolidating the defence more so the victory was important I think the performance was, was vitally important as well from from what we had two weeks ago and uh, it's probably a bit of both yeah. to be honest with you but uh, I think when you get the performance you have a good chance of, of getting the victory and I think to be fair to the players uh, we're just commenting there the first half was probably two teams lacking a little bit of confidence. It was kind of very cagey affair. I think the second half definitely did open up a bit, but I'm just thrilled with the character the lads showed because it could have easily went against us there and there were some big moments, some big players stood up and uh, for that you have to be very proud of the way that they performed. You were five up at half time, obviously. The two goals, the first one crucial, settled into the game and then Connor got the second one, but also Aidan Murphy made a couple of great saves in that first half as well. Yeah, I'm sure Cork will be very disappointed in the first half's performance. They obviously were wasteful enough and, and probably could have been more scores but uh, yeah we, we were probably still a little bit hungover from the Leinster final in the first half but uh, to be fair look um, Connor was an exception there and uh, just a brilliant goal I'm not quite sure I haven't seen it back but I'm not quite sure how he squeezed it in from a tight angle Cork came at you in the second half Henry and obviously got the goal but significantly you were, you were able to stay in front yeah, and to be fair, we got a bit of an impact off the bench, which was great to see because we haven't been probably up to this year. So Jason Command got a pint, Brian Cannon and Johnny Cohen got a vital score. And I said we probably had those big moments. And uh, leaving aside, I think, you know, Dahi's hit, I think it was on Shane Cohen, Kingston was just. And, and to be fair, I must compliment Paul. The easiest thing to do at that moment was to give a free, but it looked to me like it was shorter to shorter. And that was. Those, those moments were, were big for us. Henry, you won the first by five, but lost the second by four. But would it be fair to say the second half performance was the, the one that you'd be most pleased with, the character shown? Yeah, no, probably, yeah, because it was a better, it was a better half, to be fair. Yeah. And, and, and uh, Vincent saw, 
I, I think that's that's what it is, you know, because it, it could have easily went against us and stuff. And, and lads were, were, you know, we three or four players were camp, cramping. And to be fair, you don't want to be cramping against Cork players because they're just so lively. But they just kept on dying in there and everyone contributed. And that's, that's what we wanted from the group. We, we wanted to see that because I think that's in the players. They're, you know, I must say I've really enjoyed the time up there and... and the way these players have responded has been just brilliant. That's why you, you hope then they go out and they give it give it everything they have. And I think any more than that you can't ask for. And I think they left everything behind. Is them. there a feeling that they owed that to themselves to show their character? Yeah, I think they did, yeah. Because I think well, I was obviously disappointed that's fine, but I think they were bitterly disappointed because they felt they didn't leave it out there. And that's all you can ask for. So look at we're thrilled with today, obviously we're very mindful of what's coming next. But I think you have to enjoy these moments. This is what we all do at first that you know, a tight, tense battle like that and you come out with the right side of it. It is a good feeling. Unfortunately, I was down in the cock dressing room and that is very difficult. I and mean, it's, it's small margins. One of the, the great and leaders. I, I say, sorry, I would say it as well. I was delighted Hawkeye was obviously yeah. here today because <laughs> if he wasn't there, uh, we were obviously in butter. One of the great leaders of Galway, obviously, uh, David Burke, got two points today, central to your performance. And again, for him personally, today was a historic day as well. Galway's record championship appearance uh, player now. Yeah, well, look, sure, you know it better yeah. than me. He's been a fabulous leader for both his club, first and foremost, I think, and for his county. And uh, you know he's, he's got himself in great condition he looks after himself very well and, but it's just it's the way he goes about it I think it's his love for the game and the way he thinks about the game but the way he can just go out and perform and uh, two vital scores again and even at the end he came over to me and said look I can do another minute or two but I'm gone then and like I think that's it's easy just to say I'll hang stay in there I'll yeah. stay there but no that, that's a testament to the character of the player he is so just brilliant and brilliant to be involved in the group inside so, they were the thoughts of Eddie Brennan about potentially taking the Cork job, brushing it away somewhat, but obviously making a bit of a joke about the fact that he can be considered a Cork man, given that he was born in Cork. And then you heard from Henry Shefflin, who said they're going to have to come up quite a few levels if Galway are going to challenge the All-Ireland finalist Limerick in the semi-finals. But Galway have already beaten Limerick this year. You have to go back to the National Hurling League early on, but they did register a win at the Gaelic Grounds. And both those semi-finals come up in two weeks' time. We will preview both in a lot more detail next week. Now, Murph, this brings us to a bit of sad news too because the Tyrone hurler, Damien Casey, passed away just the age of 29 at the weekend. Uh, suspected that he died in a swimming pool accident in Spain where he was over for a wedding. This is a guy who had you know, done an awful lot for Tyrone. We played out a bit of an interview that he had on Off the Ball a few years ago when we were talking about the lower flights in the hurling. And at the time, he'd been involved in the Nicky Racker team with Tyrone, was also talking about their time in the Laurie Marr. Uh, two Nicky Rackards, a couple of Laurie Mars along the way with Tyrone in recent years. They'd won three National Leagues in Division 3B and one in 3A. Um, had been a stalwart, really, of Tyrone hurling throughout his career. Uh, two times getting on the Champion 15 uh, for the Rackard and Maher Cups. Had also played for Ireland in a, a number of Shinty Internationals against Scotland. And, you know, it's amazing when his passing happened at the weekend, how many kind of hurling people from around the country that would have played against Tyrone or maybe were involved in some of the Shinty tours were all kind of telling stories about Damien and how kind of the grief and shock about incidents like this can actually bring the hurling community together. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I never met Damien in, in my day, but I... Um 
I know a good few people from Owen Rua, like they often would have come down to Kilkenny and did a few coaching sessions with them as well. And you know, like Damien was a fella that they, that they talked about, you know, when you were comparing notes about your clubs or about your counties, Damien was a name that would often have come up. And like when you see, like you said, everything you named there, like it's, that's that's an absolutely glittering career to, to have. And he was real, I suppose, jewel in the crown in terms of Tyrone Hurling, 100 games and scored in 100 games. Um, like that's like in, in, incredible achievement out of him. But yeah, it's, it's amazing when these things come around, you know, um, obviously we had a great weekend of hurling, but then suddenly when you hear the bad news of this, it's kind of brings it all back into significance, really. But, you know, a real sad loss. Um, we've seen many images over the last few days up in Tyrone as well. And it just, you know, obviously the, the club owner are obviously and Tyrone as a whole are, you know, are mourning the loss of Damien. But look, I mean, just an incredible person. He seemed to be off the pitch from all the stories we're he- hearing. We know what he was like on the pitch. He was a savage leader. Um, for Tyrone and like obviously only scoring 14 points in Crow Park a few weeks ago like you know it's just his, his skills were absolutely amazing so look it's, it's a real big loss for the hurling community and like you said it kind of brings us back together when we hear stories like this unfortunately but um, look he'll, he'll be remembered surely as one of the greats of Tyrone hurling Yeah Scott, I think that's probably the thing that um, kind of shocked me or hit me the most when this news was breaking on Saturday morning was that you know when his name was identified and people were having a quick look back through that it was only a few weeks ago that he was playing in Crow Park in those tiered finals and the 14 points he scored for Tyrone when they won the Nicky Rackard it was his second mm-hmm. Nicky Rackard uh, winner's medal as well it just kind of brings home how young this man was at just the age of 29 it was it's awful I, I can't think of a, a different phrase uh, just when you think of someone so young an awful lot ahead of them someone who's achieved an awful lot like I when I was um, there were so many uh, you know comments on, on social media and even on, on television what not about the man and one of them that struck me was when he won his first Nicky record I believe he was captain captain 21 so just, that just jumped out to me again I, like, like Murph I didn't know the person didn't know the man but if you're captain of your team at 21 that says an awful lot about you that says an awful lot about you at such a young age that you're kind of you're, you're years ahead of yourself like you've got a probably a mature head and young shoulders and you know, like a leader of men is the way I look at it. And I always have su- such huge respect for the, for the likes of, of the Damien's who, who are playing their trade in, in a county who is, who is look at it, it's a football county. It, it seems to be football first. So they're always doing their bit to, to promote the game, to keep it going. Regardless of division, regardless of status, regardless of opposition or where they're playing, they're just always, always, always striving to, to, to keep the game at a level in Tyrone and grow it and, and, and try to bring it to, to the next level for the generation coming after them. So it's just, it's a, it's a horrible accident and it's a, it's a tragedy. And look at I, Again, I say on behalf of all of us, just our condolences to his family and uh, to all his clubmates and, and friends. Oh, yeah. oh, I think we'd all echo that. May he rest in peace. We'll hear now from uh, Tommy Welsh, who was speaking to Oshin Langan at Semple Stadium after the double header, uh, where he looked back on those two games and also a bit of a look ahead uh, to the games coming up in two weeks' time. Tommy, I think it's fair to say that uh, Galway and Clare deserved their wins, didn't they? Absolutely, and they both had to fight hard for it, uh, especially clearing that second half. Definitely when Lee Chin got that second goal, all the momentum, all the spirit, the crowd, everything was going with Wexford. It looked like they were going to you know, go on and create one of the biggest shocks of the day. But no, um, as Brian Lowe and teams do, they will stay fighting like their manager with no little skill. And um, Tony Kelly, I thought, and Shane O'Donnell are absolutely playing a huge last quarter. And upstairs, Aaron Channer, I was wondering where this guy was all season because he was one of their main players. And I stepped up and scored one too. And the most important uh, scores of that was the goal because that swung the momentum towards Clare and a massive win for Clare here today. And they want to a semi-final now with Kilkenny with a 50-50 chance. Now Clare were getting on top anyway, but Dio Keep was taken off for Wexford late on. You were surprised with that, weren't you? Because he was doing a great job. Yeah. 
yeah, Dave O'Keefe was brilliant. And I it, just in my head, I was thinking, is that because the GPSs? And only Wexford, I suppose, could, could could answer that. He put in such a huge shift all day. I was thinking maybe is his GPS is showing him to be slowed down. But I often play games, Oshin, where you mightn't be. You feel like you can't run for the next ball, but you dog it out. You go for the next ball and you win it. And Dio O'Keefe is that kind of a player, so I was shocking surprised because he was covering off all the angles all day and he put in, you know, a huge chip for Wexford. In some ways, we saw the best of Clare today, even though they didn't play as well maybe as they did against Limerick. But Tony Kelly pulled it out of the bag, got three from play towards the end of the match, three big points. Shane O'Donnell dropped back and did his usual thing this year of working hard and being a kind of a creator for maybe others. He got a couple of scores himself as well. Peter Duggan was a handful and as you say, Aaron Shanner came in and scored 1-2. Yeah, well, you always need a balance as well. And in that last quarter, Peter Duggan brought down some amount of ball. High balls coming down. Hard to win it against that Wexford defence who were on top all day. But he used to bring it down with the hurl and the boys would come in and hoover up the breaks. Um, as you said, Tony Kelly scored three points in that last second half. He scored. He had one up to that, so he finished with four. And, you know, the rumours were coming into the game. Tony Kelly didn't train. He looked maybe, you know, that he wasn't buzzing around, maybe he was injured as well. But there was also two huge incidents where he put in two huge hooks. Uh, one of them for one, I'd say went down and maybe they got a point off it. Um, but absolutely brilliant off the ball as well all day today. But Shane O'Donnell has been her novice skin all year and he won a few great frees. They really should turn up the PA system, shouldn't they? It's not nearly loud enough. Esther, please, get to the tunnel. Um, Tommy, what about Claire? Can they get back to the level they were at at the Munster final for the All-Ireland semi-finals because sometimes you just need to get a game played you just need to get through it somehow and that's what they've done today they haven't been particularly good against Wexford but they will have to step it back up for the All-Ireland semi-final and they're well capable of doing it well yeah and that was a it was a perfect match for them you know just get over the line quarterfinals are for winning to get to the semi-final especially after such a huge loss in the Munster final and now the people will be back in their step for the last two weeks or last yeah two weeks people have been clapping the back telling them they're great lads but they lost they lost the Munster final so the players wouldn't have enjoyed that towards now when they get the clap in the back they won and uh, they really dogged it out and that's probably what will probably especially going against Kilkenny who you know I suppose the GA in general would think if there's one team will dog out a win it's a Brian Cody Kilkenny team but he's coming up now against a Brian Lone and a Clare team so you know it'll be a huge huge physical battle I'd say but, but as, as I said I, I have great faith in this Kilkenny team I think they're fierce you know they're, they're forwards again forwards that can score and hurt you and Clare have the same and it'll be I think a huge 50-50 battle for this All-Ireland final place You wouldn't have too many games played against Clare in Championship would you? Well go back to say our, my first All-Ireland on the panel was in 2002 against Clare uh, that was the, the great Clare team probably coming near, near to the end and they happened to win that after that then played them in a couple of semi-finals 2006 semi-final they put us under the we were under the cosh that day they played really really well but we got over the line uh, in 06 and went on so after that then I can't remember too many times Actually, we got beaten. My point is, you've yeah. never peaked as teams together. No, no, and this could be, you know, they're two new teams as such. Uh, they've their older, experienced players, but with a rush of young lads coming in. So, listen, it should lead to a very exciting build-up. I want to talk to you about Galway and Cork because that was the first game of the double header here. Um, Cork will be kicking themselves because they had the chances to win it and they didn't take them. Yeah, they had a lot of chances, and the goal chances that they had, they were proper goal chances. They weren't 
uh, chances where you'd say after the game when you're analysing it looking at the video footage why didn't you just tap the ball over the bar they were not tap the ball over the bar uh, opportunities it's just they could have took it on an extra five or six yards sorry to cut across you but you might be able to hear cheering in the background you possibly can't see what's going on Brian Lowen is walking back to the dressing rooms and the Clare fans are cheering sorry to cut across you Tommy back to Cork yeah so the, the goal chances um, they had them goal chances but they were proper goal chances and they deserved to go from that to take a bit of more experience if that to take it in another couple of yards there would have been definitely goals so they missed a couple of frees as well so listen no there will be a huge disappointment that's in Cork this evening because that game was definitely there for him. There will be a lot of talk about the Cork management but I would put it to you that they actually did come up with a performance today they just didn't take their chances and that's a better way to end a season than maybe last year getting to the final and getting absolutely battered and people were saying well where are you going what's happening with this team yeah you can definitely um, rest there and you know they, they, they picked they made hard choices during the season you know dropped the all time leading top scorer in, in the All-Ireland Senior Hurling Championship Patrick Horgan I know they brought him on at half time but they made hard hard decisions and hard choices at different, at different stages and that means that they left no stone unturned they turned up a performance today just unfortunately like Galway Leinster final didn't execute their chances and um, you can always hold your head, he, your head up after performances like that the question marks over Galway coming into this was could their forwards do it outside of Conor Whelan did they answer those questions today yeah well when Carl Mannion plays well for Galway Galway play well Mannion put in a huge shift scored a great scores he was chasing back himself and Park made great interceptions at various stages of that game Conor Whelan as you said he finished with I'd say 1-2 the goal but he learned from the Leinster final he bounced it into the corner as opposed to straight at the goalkeeper and it was from a very very tight angle but he kept going further and they got that goal so Listen, huge performances from I thought Park Mannion in the, in the back line as well Joseph Cooney had to go back as Garrod McInerney went off and that could have been one of those kind of D. O'Keefe moments where you'd say when Garrod McInerney went off they seemed to lose it but no Joseph Cooney slotted back in but I think the performance for me of the day for Galway was David uh, um, David Burke oh, David Burke was brilliant brilliant and Dahi and Dahi and Finton's sideline cuts relieve such pressure off the, off the back line when he drives it up to the full forward line but uh, David Burke was, was epic today do they have a chance against Limerick oh, they do you always have a chance when you're in a semi-final and sometimes a semi-final is a place to catch an All-Ireland champion what would make you think they do have a chance what, what about Galway do you like well the fact that now they're scoring aside from their manager <laughs> took the words out of my mouth <laughs> no listen a Galway team can always score and we said that before the game they will always put up huge scores regards on the on the point side of things but can they score goals they didn't score goals in 2017 when they won All-Ireland but in, in, the, in the game today they scored two, one, two. and you're scoring goals but it's a rivalry is what, why I give them a chance when you're playing a derby match and Galway and Limerick are huge rivals and when, when Galway put it up to Limerick they won't like playing them play each other in that All-Ireland final they barely got over the line Limerick they played in the All-Ireland semi-final in a couple of years ago they barely got over the line Limerick so you know maybe third time lucky for this Galway team Right that was Tommy Welsh in conversation with Oisin Langan now JM was in contact on last week's YouTube he posted just a few hours ago to say next week's pod lads needs an hour dedicated to Galway tip and minor game alone I'm not sure we'll go exactly an hour but this is one of the best minor games I have ever seen um, Scal was involved with the Galway management team so he can give us like a literal side of the pitch report on this game but Scal I watched the game this morning it was just absolutely remarkable 3.24 to 3 goals and 20 it finished up at full time in Tipperary's favour against Galway at the Gaelic grounds yeah. it doesn't tell the whole story though because Tip looked comfortable at one stage they were 5-6 points up then Galway had a good rally and after 
Rory Burke puts the ball over the bar. It looks like Galway are going their home clean. We're in injury time at this stage. But then Tipperary got a leveling score from Adam Daly. And you're wondering, here we go again. This might go to extra time, might go to penalties, a bit like Tip and Clare in the Munster final. Then Joe Egan put the ball over for Tip. And you're wondering if Galway are going to go up the other end and equalise and send it to extra time. And then Tipperary get the sucker punch right with the last play of the game, effectively, when Senna Butler puts the ball into the net. And that was all kind of in about a minute, two minutes spell that those points went over. It was 1-2 without reply in yeah. no time at all. And it just didn't give Galway time to respond once Tip had gone ahead. Like, an incredible flurry of a finish. We can talk about Aaron Nyland, who you've you know talked up on the show a few weeks ago. He scored two eleven during the game and was remarkably good. But what a standard of the fixture and what a dramatic finish to the match. Yeah, you have to consider like even some of our players, anti-break players, they're 15 years of age. You know, we're talking about kids here. Like a minor is associated with, with men at 18 years of age, but it's not anymore. So the standard of hurling, skill, execution, um, dealing with, with the ball under pressure, like from both sides, was just out of this world. And it is like for off my memory now, obviously I haven't seen every minor game, but this was the best minor game I've ever seen. Uh just the standard was ridiculous. Like if you just consider um, Tipperary scored 321 from play. You know, and Galway scored three three fourteen, I think was it? Like that's that's so you're talking about six thirty-five from play from minor from, from kids. That's unreal. So <laughs> that's an unreal standard. And like I thought we had a drive, we got off to a great start um in the in the in the first half. We were playing against the breeze. We went in a point up. Probably I think we probably we were quite satisfied with where we were, we were and where we were going to be, I thought. Um and then kind of the second half tip got control. They just got real good control and they were, you know, they were really effective and we couldn't really bypass their sweeper. Uh, he was like Sam O'Farrell, a good, good player. And next thing they went up five, went up six. And I thought, Jesus, we, we're, we're it's getting away from us a small bit here. But the boys kept plugging and plugging and plugging. And next thing deep injury time, Aaron Island comes up with a ridiculous goal to draw it. And then Rory Brock gets a point to put his one up into injury time. And then it just the, the game takes a life and so on. That, that, that's exactly what happened. And Tip rallied off one two. And fair players to them. Like they, they worked the ball. It wasn't like it was given to them by a referee or given to them by a bad decision or mistake. They worked the ball up and they put they finished off one two. So credit them. They're moving on to face a really good offside, side, which would be a good final. And uh I don't know, it's hard to tip my head to anyone there. Yeah, like there was an absorbing game. So I was at the game on Friday, I can talk about that in a moment, but I even knowing the result when I flicked it on this morning, like I was getting very emotionally invested in the second half of the game, particularly when Galway started to rally back and then Tipperary were able to just stem the tide. And as you said, Nyland gets his goal. Like Nyland was incredible, Skell, before I play a little bit of audio here from Tip FM of the craziness of the last minute. Like you talked about how talented this young lad is. Like even at a very, very young age, there is so much talent there. Yeah, it's talented. Like he's underage next year. Oh. Do you know what? Like, and, um, but that, that's it. Like talent is one thing. No, don't get me wrong. Now, I, this I'm, I might, I might nullify this point a small bit, right? But talent is one thing potentially. But he has to be nurtured and fulfil the potential. And like the kid has to be allowed to make mistakes. And like we can't be saying he needs to be scoring two eleven every day. And this goes across any kid who has this kind of potential. Like you can't, there, there can't be an expectancy for them to produce this. Like they need to be allowed to, you know, go up and down, ebb and flow, get themselves more physically <clears throat> prepared for 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 twenties and for for club hurling, etc. And uh, and just live it. You know what I mean? Like, we have a guy in our club now, let's say, Liam Collins, who is the same. He was a minor a couple of years ago. Same thing as Aaron Island. Shit hot. You know what I mean? <laughs> Class as well. But just has to be for the opportunity to, you know, go up and down a bit. Live a bit off the pitch. Don't let his life get consumed by hurling. And then try and bring him along with you. And try to fulfil that potential. You know, don't try to burn him out too early. Um, but, like, he was class. Uh, that's, that's the way it is. Like, he was class. But then, like, Tipperary, Tipperary had their own lads. You know what I mean? I know that uh, the... the 
the, the fixture will be dominated by Ireland scoring 2-11 but your, like, what was your man's name? Delaney Tom Delaney was in foot forward 6 points mm-hmm. for Tipperary deadly do you know what I mean? So like Tip have their own guys that they have to nurture as well. And that's the key thing here is I'm looking at that team now from, from Galway's perspective and I'm saying how many of them guys now can we extract and realistically put them into a senior setup in, you know, five years. You know, that, that's the target. It's not how many minors can we win in five years. How many of that team can we get out of that and put into our senior starting 15 in five years time? That's the key thing. That is the huge thing. And Tip got, I believe they got like five, six, seven games over the course of the championship. We got three. So like we... Again, it's all about development and like, who will be further on? Obviously, Tipperary in terms of development. But it's good for our guys. Like, they learn the hard way. You know, tough times breed tough people. So that's what you should be hoping they move on and get to the next step. Yeah, it's an unusual setup where I think Offaly and Tip have both had six games. I think Leo O'Connor was saying, like, when you take challenge games into account as well, they've all had about 10 generally during the year yeah. because they've played other counties. While because Galway come into the championship so late, it's difficult because you're trying to get challenge games against teams that you're potentially going to play later in the year and then at the same time you don't actually have the heat of championship until the round robin comes around and then similarly as we maybe saw a little bit with Tipperary early in the game and definitely in the first 10 or 11 minutes of Offaly's performance against Clare the two provincial champions you could tell that they hadn't played as recently as Clare and Galway because I saw Clare a couple of times now um, saw a bit of their game against you guys with Galway and saw their game against Leash and they had come on, I think, from the Munster final because of those extra two games. Mm-hmm. And that was very telling with the way the Clare started the game on Friday. Again, similarly, it's difficult for Tipperary to kind of manage the break. But if you're Galway scale, you probably say, well, look, you guys have got a bank of group games behind you. And Galway kind of have to come in a little bit cold after the fixtures that the two provincial champions have had. So I'm not sure how it balances out. I'm not sure what the solution is to it. But there's probably pluses and minuses to both systems. Yeah, there is. Like, I think if... If Galway came through and won the, the whole championship, you'd be saying this is the best system ever. Like, you know, but I always think as many games you can get into these kids as possible, it serves a better purpose than possibly winning a championship. That sounds a bit counterproductive, you might say, but like I would much rather, from where I sit, getting six, seven games into our kids, you know, and breeding probably a, a tougher hurler who's gone through, you know, more development in, in, in his age group than probably going through two or three games and, and winning a championship. That might sound ludicrous. Okay. What's the answer to this? I just put us into Leinster. <laughs> Everyone's going to Leinster. Just put us in there. Or right, put us into Munster. I don't care. Put us in, into one of them. Just give the kids, kids some more games, get some more, some more development. And if they come through the group stages, fair enough. If they don't, fair enough as well. But um, it's just, I look at, and in fairness, I have to say, in, in my time at Minor, like we were straight into an Ireland quarter final. And if you're bet, you're bet. You're gone. And the same with them 31. So it, so what the system they have is a better version of what was went before it. So I can't complain too much, to be honest. <laughs> so. <laughs> I want to give credit as well to at GA underscore stats who have answered a question that I was asked earlier today and I didn't have the team sheets for Tipperary but I did have the Offaly team sheet from the 2019 Forest Hill Cup final which was the under 14 effectively the, the, the chief development final which takes place and Offaly played against Tipperary in that decider uh, Tipperary won the game on the day and now it's a repeat of the All-Ireland final three years on at under 17 level and like remarkable retention rate from Offaly in the period since. So of the starters on Friday night against Clare, 14 of the 15 had played in the Forestal Cup final against Tipperary. So it's nearly a 100% retention rate from that team. And a host of other players are on the panel. Now, between AskGA underscore stats, who got me the panellists for both the B panel from Tipperary that got to the final against Waterford and the A finalists against Offaly, they had 12 players across those panels that played against Galway 
yesterday afternoon and Shane Brophy from the Nina Guardian also pointing out that they had 12 across the uh, panel for yesterday so it's kind of both counties Murph bringing players through and if you're going to say the most important thing about minor level and we love the exciting games and you know, silverware is important for young lads coming up along it's actually developing players in the way that Tipperary and Offaly have over the last three years that's very good to keep those guys around three years on to play in a final again yeah, and it says they're obviously doing something right as well. That they're keeping them in the system, that they're not losing these players. Because look, a lot can happen in a in a young person's, um, you know, in that time for a young person that could distract them and could take them away. So to have all those players still involved, um, it's it, you know, it's it's a kind of a, I suppose a tip of the hat that their underage systems. Um, are successful that they're probably really enjoyable as well but that they're headed in the right direction certainly as well and you know it also galvanizes the group of players as well like if you're looking to go and win finals as well if you've had a group of players that have been through especially at underage like whatever about adults you know going through four and five years together it's a lot tougher to have such a cohort of young players who are continuously going from tony forrestal right up to minor and then if you're going into a final, you know, that does serve for something there that these players have played with each other over a number of years. They've been galvanised in, in the heat of, of their own tournaments, like I said, the Tony Forrestal. Because when you're, I remember playing Tony Forrestal myself and I still meet lads today that like you still have this great friendship over. That, that counts for a lot um, when you're playing six and seven matches in the minor and when you're going to the well to try and win these things. So it's a, it says a lot all around, I suppose, for both camps that they're able to continuously have this group of players. And it'll definitely stand. Look, it, I suppose it nearly nullifies each other that both camps have so many players come through. But it'll certainly stand to both camps that they can say, listen, we had these crop of lads in Sony Forsell. There's still a great group of them that are still here. still do, So we're doing something right. And it'll be very special for, for each group, let's say, of those players who are there the whole way up. And also the lads who joined in along the way that, you know, if you're to win a minor final or you're not to win a minor final, that, you know, you've served your time together the whole way up. So, yeah, look, it's it's, it's a remarkable achievement to have so many that you can point to from, you know, from the Tony Forrestal to say, well, those lads are still here. Yeah. What, uh, what year did you play Forrestal, Mark? Oh, I'm going to show my age now. Tony Forrestal, sure. Would have been 2003, I'd imagine. Yeah, 2003. Wasn't that two, no? No, three. We won 2003. We bet these lads called Galway. In the Is this where you revealed that you played against each other in a Tony Forsell match? I thought we did. I thought because Richie was playing 0-2. No, I played 2003. And if you were if you were actually playing in 2003, I hung a ball up on you in the net because I scored a goal in the final of that. Left corner forward I was, Skettle. By the time I, I finished my... I started Tony Forsell left corner forward and I finished my underage career to Kenny Wright corner back. Out, so. back. I, well, well, I was overage, my friend. So, so thank you for that. Uh, you're lucky. You got away with it so because if I found out... I never even thought about the connection. But if I had found out I had stuck on past you... That would have been the end of it here now. I would, I'd start every show each week. Remind well, me. let's just pour some water in that fire. It never happened, my friend. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and you have to score things. That's why you're back uh, before. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's why they pushed me back, yeah. This is like the moment where I found out, uh, I think about a year ago, that I actually played against Shane Lowry in a, I'm going to say an under-11 community games football final. And we beat Clara at the time. So uh, oh. take that, international millionaire sports star. And uh, you Shane buried him in the shoulder. Well, if, well, we're on the topic now. Without it, um, myself and Richie Hogan's claim to fame is that we played Kennedy Cup and we were defeated one nil against Donegal and Seamus Coleman was playing. Oh, Obviously, wow. we didn't know Seamus Coleman was playing at the time, but uh, it's amazing what has happened to that man since. We haven't heard anything about him since, but <laughs> that's uh, one of myself and Richie Hogan's claim to fame. It's always good for me to look back at these lads. I recently enough, I was back in my parents' house and I found the programme from the 1998 All-Ireland Hurling Final. So I just kind of flicked to the middle of it to have a quick look through. 
Guess who was the uh, Kilkenny Sevens captain that day? A certain TJ Reid. In what year? 1998. In, and that was in the Hurling All Ireland ha- final. He played at half time in the All Ireland final between Kilkenny mm-hmm. and Offaly. And uh, TJ's aim, I think they had like, you know, what is your dream in life? It was to play for Kilkenny. Yeah. Um, so he played with a bit of distinction after that, I think. We, we played, he was, he played another one again. I think the Hogan stand, this, this is how old we are. The Hogan stand wasn't there. The young was we being, are. It was being built at the time uh, because, or sorry, reconstructed, should I say. We played at the Leinster final, I think it was. TJ was the captain that day. Um, he, he said he'd only play if he was captain. I think that was the terms he was playing on, even though he was only 12. Oh, Jesus but, uh, it was it was Leinster final, I think it was. Yeah, and TJ was playing that way. And like Martin Welch, Tommy's brother, was playing that day as well. We had a good crew of lads as well. Like, But uh, yeah, I played with TJ back then. So I didn't know he had a second stint. He had an illustrious career in the coming of months goal after there, games. There all, yeah, so he played on, it was the it was sevens <laughs> team against each other. So there was um, an awfully sevens team and a Kilkenny sevens team. It was a mix of uh, girls and boys because... The Offaly captain was Joachim Kelly's daughter, Aoife, who went on to win a couple of uh, Camogie All-Irelands with Offaly. And obviously TJ went on to have you know, a generational career with the Kilkenny Herders afterwards. So the two captains in that 98 went on to do reasonably well in their careers afterwards. So always good fun to have a look back at them. I wasn't expecting to see a very young uh, TJ Reid, who was only in his early stages of primary school, uh, popping up as the captain of the Kilkenny team. Um, here, but actually, before I talk about the, the great end commentary on that fantastic game between Tipperary and Galway, just... The game between Offaly and Clare, I don't know if you guys saw it on Friday night. The thing that surprised me most um, from watching on was Flares over to the right-hand side started going off at one point, I think after the Adam Screeny goal. I didn't realise Flares were being sold in Offaly outside of Halloween, but somehow uh, the young lads who were sitting up there managed to get them. Again, like a bumper Offaly crowd went, and not maybe quite as many as the Leinster final, but still a big crowd all over in the old stand side in Semple Stadium. Everyone was in on, on one side to make it look good for the TV. But the match itself, it's kind of funny. Clare got off to a really good start. There were four points to one up after 11 minutes and Offaly didn't fire. And it looked like maybe they were, you know, a little bit maybe lethargic, a little bit leggy, maybe after training they had done, not having had a competitive game in four weeks. And then they kind of shot to life. Uh, Adam Screeny's goal was terrific. Um, I think that was in the 17th minute. What a finish. Like, Some finish, yeah. yeah he, it's funny, he's a, he's a small lad, but he's really, really technical. And I saw a few people saying he's like almost like Johnny Flaherty, reborn, one of the great 1980 Offaly forwards, where he's got, he's a small lad, but he's got great movement and he's got fantastic wrists with the way he finishes. And the way he went in for that goal, it was just in front of us. He gave the goalkeeper the eyes and then it was just a clever little bat back across goal then when he got that inch space and the second goal that Offaly scored just after half time was really good it reminded me of an, I'm going to say Limerick here because it was almost like a Nicky Quaid puck out that would land to Hegarty Hegarty would catch the ball and then straight away his thought would be to go for, towards goal and Connor Doyle did exactly the same uh, caught the ball about 45 metres out from goal and then a really clever finish across goal uh, which is a stunning finish and then the other high point I think for Offaly during the game was that when Clare got back into it and Clare were incredibly game throughout the match again I feel they really did come on even from the Munster final performance was that Dan Ravenhill the Offaly captain put in a huge right. display <clears throat> six points is long range free taken a couple of the points that he put over from long range when Offaly needed them that's the type of leadership that you need from uh, players sometimes and in the case of Dan and Adam they're younger or sorry they're older brothers are already on the Offaly senior team so um, there's good stock with the lads there and there's young Niall Furlong who comes from the Furlong family in Tullamore who are steeped in history with football uh, Killian Martin who'd be uh, Kevin Martin's son again playing in midfield with his mullet flowing out through the back of his helmet an all action kind of performance from him 
it's going to be a great final. I've been not yearing this at all. I've been really impressed by Tipperary with the way they played in the, particularly the Munster final and that game against Galway yesterday was superb performance. But I think Offaly will give them plenty of it when it comes mm-hmm. around to the All Ireland final. That's been set for half past one, Nolan Park on the 3rd of July which is the last day of the golf which is also at Mount Juliet so probably for the aforementioned Shane Lowry it's going to be a difficult decision potentially if he's going well in uh, Mount Juliet and if his beloved county are playing up the road in Nolan Park at half past one uh, but here's a little taster of the excitement that we had in the minor final between or the minor semi-final between Tipperary and Galway this is Paul Carroll and Ken Hogan on Tip FM on Sunday afternoon Tipperary's full forward line Galway now coming out with this ball from the half back line on their own 45, Galway sprints now with this ball. They go long. Nyland. He and it's it. going to drop towards Aaron Nyland. He can't quite get it in his hands. Tip can't give away a free here. Jack O'Callaghan's under that, as is Aaron O'Halloran. There's a rock on Tipperary's 45. The referee wants the slitter. It's not for the final Five whistle. It's going to be... He, he's going to throw the ball in. There's three and a half minutes the gone. they got to put the leg in there now. It's going to be a, on the line for this one, Paul. It's a throw ball on Tipperary's. It's a throw in on Tipperary's 45. There's about 20 players in there. If Tip can win this ball, they can win this game. And now oh. comes Tipperary. And it's gone as far as Dan McCarthy. He has the ball in his hand. He drives it down the field. Tom Delaney's in space. Tom Delaney's in acres of space. Tom Delaney is the down on the 14. He has a man inside. Hand Brilliant. passes it in. Could be a goal. Yes! Oh! Goal for Tipperary. A goal for Simon Butler. And Tipperary are going to the All-Ireland final, it seems. They're four points up. They've scored three goals and 24 points. Galway have scored three goals and 20 points. The referee blows the full-time whistle. And Tipperary are heading through the All-Ireland final Ken Hogan what a game of hurling Galway 320 Tipperary 324 my voice is gone here in the Gaelic grounds Ken so that was the commentary from the end of the Tipperary against Galway game so looking forward to the 3rd of July to that All-Ireland minor final at Nolan Park between Tipperary and Offaly it's Offaly's first appearance in the final since 1989 their captain that time against Clare was certain Brian Whelan who went on to have a pretty decent career afterwards as well now Leash are looking for a new manager. They want to try and get one in place ahead of their local championships getting underway in a few weeks' time. It's after Cheddar Plunkett stepped down after a two-year second spell in charge. He put out, Murph, a very long statement on Saturday morning about the reason that he was stepping down and spoke quite a bit about the injuries they had this year. Their captain, joint captain, both unavailable. They're missing two previous captains. Like, when you're missing key players like Aaron Dunphy and like Roddy King and Picky Maher along the way, it was very, very difficult. He said for the Kilkenny game, they'd said Seven players missing. I think they were missing six still for the Westmead game in the last round. That definitely caught up with them a little bit this year. And look, I think probably Leash didn't get quite to the heights of Cheddar's first spell where they had a big win against Offaly and they ran a few of the established teams incredibly close. But I think back to last year where Leash played very well against Waterford. And you know, Cheddar Plunkett is a man kind of steeped in Leash hurling history. A bit disappointing to see it end this way for him. Yeah, it's a tough one for him. And like... What you said there, like obviously the injuries was just they were just plagued by injuries and consistently week on week here where we're just talking about what players were nearly missing. It just seemed to be the team, unfortunately, for Leash. And it is difficult because, you know, for so long, like often we have managers who are just associated with the county and Cheddar is that man with Leash, you know, and great servant as well to Leash and for all the years he put in and like, you know, he did a spell here with James Stevens in Kilkenny and he got you know, he was a hair's breadth away from a county final as well. So, you know, he he's a man who absolutely loves it, you know, absolute savage time he puts into it as well so of course it is disappointing and um, look like you said the hand he was dealt was so tough this year missing so many players at really important times 
Um, it was always going to be like even if Leash had their full panel, you know, there were there was big scalps that they had to take to you know to stay going. So it was tough for him with the hand he was dealt. Probably if this was going to be his last year to start the year, it wasn't the ideal way for it to go out. You'd like to have all your players for selection, and whatever way you go out after that grand he can finish up and say well look I suppose I had a fair crack at it but it's yeah it's, it's disappointing for Cheddar to see him that he's stepping aside now and you know I suppose didn't get what a lot of people would see a fair crack at it with having all your players at your disposal but look you, you have to give him great credit he's been a great servant to Leash over the years and put many hours many more than we'll ever know into into being Leash manager so it's um, look fair play to him and he, he enjoys he, he should enjoy a bit of downtime now as well or whether he will I don't know I probably see the likes of man he is he'll probably go into another job but uh, look fair play to him yeah um, Scal delighted to find out that you've uh, finally joined YouTube uh, James S leaving a comment last week <laughs> Will is the best MC facilitator debate I've ever seen in sports media credit where it's due I can't believe you couldn't have just said this on the show Scal but thanks a lot for putting it on YouTube well I hate to brush your bubble my friend <laughs> <laughs> but there must be another James S in this country in this world because <laughs> that wasn't me <laughs> I was saying there I thought it was ahead of going to a dare now you're trying to weasel your way into getting a few free points or something like that you're going geez, I may start playing lads now and you know yeah Will Will you're, geez, you're brilliant because you're texting me on the side here saying I'm a great fella as well so is this, your getting, <laughs> is this your way of getting a few free points or something or what's it oh my god Joe that's called <laughs> that comment you wrote that's what you call, that's what you call ear piss right <laughs> what, you're, what you're after saying okay so so don't get me started. And let's let's have a few points wins in. Let's let's see who's the last man standing, huh? Oh, <laughs> God almighty. Right. Watch out, Hunter's Bar in Limerick. Thanks a lot. I mean alcohol, sorry, I mean having a few points. Yeah, they're only in a row. A right room of blown a day. man with the red cards anyway, now, so we have to keep tabs on you. Yeah, I was listening back. You never seemed off in your life. I was, yeah. I was. Come on, tell us about the sending off, though. Colm Lane sent me off against Galway in the park. Um, Hang on a second. Maybe two years ago, three years. No, no, sure, it wouldn't be two. It was three years ago. It was in Nolan Park, anyway. Let's have a look. Um, yeah, I shouldn't have been sent off. It was, it was very. It was. Davy Burke flicked the ball over my head, and I turned around, and Davy Burke ran into the back of me, and it was a second yellow. It was a very strange one. Now, hey, I, I hold no grudges, but that was my remembering. Sorry, can I just? Re- you saw Davy Burke flick the ball over your head, and he ran into the back of you, and you got a second yellow. Oh, I was on a yellow, yeah. Couldn't be that simple. Couldn't be that down, simple. I pulled down Jason Flynn in the first half because he was too oh, black card. Black, black card. <laughs> so we went over and I rugby tackled him. I said to the other cornerbacks, right lads, that's my yellow done. Or my fullback in the cornerback said, that's my yellow done. So now I'm, I'm on tap. And but, Connor Whelan ran through for a goal in the second half and I couldn't do it in the first half. Couldn't do it to him. Colin Lyon said it to me. He said, listen, like, you know, you're on thin ice there. And I said, I actually didn't do anything to him. So then in the second half, I think it was Davy Burke, a ball bounced and Davy Burke flicked it over my head and, and kind of, I was standing and he just ran into me. Um, he wasn't looking for a free, but he hit the deck and uh, I just got a second yellow. It was ridiculous. Was he wasn't looking for a free, but he hit the deck. That's because he's putting the deck. I, no, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. I received a ream of messages afterwards uh, backing me up, but uh, yeah, that's my view of it. I think Colin Lyons had a different view. <laughs> Do you know what the worst part is about Google at this stage, Murph, as well, is that now if I search your red card against Galway, mm. the first thing that comes up is actually Scale talking about his red card on the pod a couple of weeks ago. Well, I, I, I call bullshit on that. I'm going Google it right now. That's that's because his was a red card, whereas like Google won't even tell you that mine was a red card. That's how that's that mine wasn't like. Oh my god, it is the first thing that comes up. I'm actually more concerned that Google associates me with James Gill. That's worse again. I don't know. I don't know what to do with this. 
you well, you're getting paid well to associate yourself with me. <laughs> now look, if you want to come along and ask some questions to the lads, have a bit of crack with us next week. We're going to be in Hunter's Bar in Limerick next Wednesday. That is the 29th of June. With thanks to Guinness uh, Zero Zero. It's all part of a series of GA road shows, which we've been hosting for OTB across the summer. So the Hurling Pod is going on the road. Keep an eye out on OTB Sports, both the Off the Ball social pages and also otbsports.com. Uh, pretty much from tomorrow, if you're listening to us on Monday evening, there'll be more details about our guests and how you can get your free tickets for the event as well hopefully we'll see you there next wednesday lads before that we have to do the pod next week next monday is going to be a bumper preview of the semi-finals so looking forward to that we'll save some of our good stuff and some of the stories you won't get on the pod for those who come along to hunter's bar in limerick on wednesday but looking forward to seeing you not once next week but twice next week yeah in the flesh for once we'll talk to you lads take it easy lads see you